Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report on this Friday, uh, August 4th, 2017. This is Joe Hagman, the co-host, actually, tonight, uh, in the first hour, the co-host with, with John Robertson, and then I'll be taking the show solo with our guests for this evening, and we got a, a fantastic lineup. we got two new guests. Uh, first will be in hour two, Mr. Dave Workman. We're going to be talking about a number of issues related to guns, gun safety, concealed carry, uh, and gun freedom. And then we will be joined in hour number three by Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. He's an author of the book, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic show. Now, quick note, it is Eric Tech Eric's mother's birthday, and he took her down to a Pittsburgh Pirates game. So he is out of the studio tonight, and I hope uh, the game's going well. It was raining all day up here in, in uh, our neck of the woods. So hopefully the game is uh, ongoing <clears throat> and not delayed or, or uh, postponed. And then uh, my father, he's he is here, but he is under the weather. So folks, keep him in your prayers. Uh, he doesn't ever take off, even when he's not feeling well. So he must really be feeling crappy to uh, not want to do the or not be able to do the show tonight uh folks don't forget our, our website hagmanreport.com hagmanreport.com and right at the very top of hagman report there is a banner the world net daily superstore and there you can get uh, all kinds of stuff one of the the most uh, favorites for the hagman audience is the books the books where we have guests from uh, world net daily authors coming on and uh, talking about their books and folks you get a discount by using the promo code Hagman and one of those authors tonight is is Reverend Peterson um, again his book The Antidote Healing America from the Poison of Hate Blame and Victimhood and uh, he is a World Net Daily author so folks if you like what you hear go to that World Net Daily Superstore link use the promo code Hagman to um, to get whatever book or anything else that you want that there that's there there's a lot there now, um, again, for folks who maybe uh, haven't been joining us all week or the last few weeks, the two new radio shows, if you go to Hagman Report on the right-hand side, right on the right of the stories, there are there's a banner there. Two new shows, The Doug Hagman Show, which is it airs 9 to 10, Monday through Friday, in the morning, 9 to 10 a.m., and The Hagman Daily Show. That is 2 to 3 p.m., and you can find both of those shows on Blog Talk Radio as well as Global Star Radio Network Channel 3. And the Hagman Daily Show is a show that I do with John Robertson, the producer here at the Hagman Report. And he's going to be joining me in this first hour. And we're going to continue to, to go over the news and uh, and get into some other areas in this first hour. John, are you with us? Joe, I am with you. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. 
Oh, perfect. Okay. Todd was going to bring me in on the landline. Uh, we had some really bad connectivity, but if I'm five by five, maybe we can just proceed from here. No, absolutely. We're good. And folks, uh, here at the studio, we, you know, we have studio dogs here and we have lady and apparently the, uh, Theo is here, even though Jackie and Erica is not. And I'm looking at my computer bag here sitting next to me and it's leaning up against a little, uh, shelf with a couple of closed cabinets. And for some reason, Eric's dog, Theo, is just itching to get into this shelf. I don't know what's in there, but that's pretty funny. I wish I could take some video of it. Um, John, it's great <laughs> to have you on. I, I want to thank you for joining us in the in the first hour tonight. And maybe, folks, this might be a little bit of what, uh, you might get a little taste of what the Hagman Daily Show is like uh, with me and John. We had a, another fantastic show today, closing out our second week of broadcasting, and it's been going really good. And, and folks who have listened to the show, and or if you haven't and you plan on doing it, please send us some feedback at studio at hagmanandhagman.com. We've already received a lot already, and it's been uh, you know very positive, very uplifting, and we thank everybody for that. There's a lot of news to get into tonight. I guess we should start with... Um, what Peter Chowka has up at Hagman Report, he wrote an article today, Sean Hannity, targeted for destruction by the resistance. Now, this is relevant because we're going to get into a couple of other areas, um, you know, talking about the, what is this resistance and who else are they targeting. But uh, Mr. Chowka writes that Sean Hannity has become the number one mainstream media, radio, and television uh, program that is opposing the deep state fake news juggernaut that seeks to destroy the presidency of Donald Trump. And this is a, a target attack that aims to deliver the kill shot to his 21-year reign on the Fox News channel. Um, and Peter is a, a great writer for the American Thinker. He's also an author of, uh, I believe, more than one book that deal that's in the medical profession. But, uh, you know, he's been writing about baby Charlie Gard as that was ongoing, as well as the... Uh, the news about health care and single-payer health care. And also, he's been writing a lot about Fox News, the alternative media versus the, the mainstream media, the ratings, what's been going on in the world of media. So this is right up his alley, his investigative alley. And, um, you know, he goes on to talk about how Bill O'Reilly was ousted from, from Fox News in late April and how they attempted to remove Sean Hannity. If you remember, folks, he was covering the Seth Rich uh, story and there was a, a call for a boycott of his um, sponsors because of the content he was he was covering. Now we see the uh, they're going after him again, and not only that, at a time when you know really their backs, they're being you know the Obama administration, uh, people who people from the Obama administration, and the the deep state and the media, their backs should be against the wall, as uh, Chalka points out. There is a number of scandals going on from uh, the Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, Amara Wan, and the Wan Brothers scandal, which we'll get into a little bit of that in this hour. You have the, uh, the powers from the U.N. under the Obama administration, the unmasking scandal that involves Susan Rice and, and many others that shows some of the extent that Obama administration took in order to try to spy on their political opponents and you have this deep state attack at all levels, and we know that the news media is completely compromised, owned whole whole cloth by the the elite, by the power brokers, not not only to the point of of ownership, but they control pretty much everything that is said and covered on these networks, and also what is not covered on these networks. 
And I got a chance um, after reading this article. I didn't. I waited till this afternoon to read it, and I turned on CNN maybe around four o'clock today just to see what they were talking about. And they continue to talk about the Robert Mueller grand jury, and we can get into this uh, also because, uh, and it's like I said earlier, you know, it's like beating a dead horse. How many times can we can we talk about this? Obviously, Robert Mueller should not be in there. He's <laughs> he is. Uh, all connected even to delivering hand delivering uranium in 2009 for Hillary Clinton to the Russians. James Comey's his best friend. The numerous conflict of interest there alone, but now he's convening a grand jury, and people are wondering where this is going to go. And uh, Charles Crothammer today said that Republicans want to out Trump. And also, uh, James Woods. We talked about this on our show earlier. James Woods issued a tweet saying, if the Democrats are able to reverse the results of the election by outing Trump with their dirty tricks there will be a civil war and that's something that we need to consider John where do you want to take it from here you want to get into this the civil war aspect of it do you want to talk about the media attacking Sean Hannity well Joe thank you so much what I'd like to do is start with Peter's recent article folks that's at hagmanreport.com and uh, be sure to take a few moments to, to check out Hagman Report uh, each day, you know, we've worked very diligently, uh, particularly over the past several months, to significantly increase our original content with phenomenal writers like Peter Barry Chaka, Pastor Mike Spaulding, Dr. Ted Brower, uh, recent Hagman uh, repeat guest and new favorite Stephen Minking. And we really feel, uh, Joe and Doug and I, the whole Hag- team Hagman, that curation of the news is one side of our uh, effort at Hagman Report, but really hitting that original content is what our listeners and viewers want more than anything else. So, folks, bookmark Hagman Report. And, Joe, I'd like to start with the Hannity story because what I see here, it's a time, I like to use this phrase from time to time, let's pull the camera back, let's go on a wider lens and look at what's really happening uh, in the first six months of President Donald Trump's uh, presidency. Battle lines are being drawn, and what we're seeing in the mainstream media, particularly at Fox News, is a straight-up interdepartmental media witch hunt. Okay, Now, I have had the opportunity to speak offline with numerous reporters, uh, two of whom actually worked at one time or another with Bill O'Reilly, And, Joe, I'm sure you can attest to this as well. One of the challenging aspects of what we do day in and day out is being careful to disseminate information that we we receive offline without compromising the ongoing work of investigative journalists who are very protective of what they're spending so much time and effort uh, uncovering. But that being said, uh, the allegations against Bill O'Reilly from two different people's first-person observations, there may have been some legitimacy to some of the complaints. Now, I'm not besmirching uh, Bill O'Reilly. I've read a few of his books. I've followed his work going back to the early days of, of the no-spin zone. Uh, but, yeah. but, but what we're seeing here, and, and folks, I saw this from the entertainment side of the mainstream media in Los Angeles. I saw it at Fox and I saw it uh, to a lesser degree with CNN. What's happening here is a massive house cleaning from the top down. And 
when you look at the uh, public demonstration, the demonstrable support for the Hillary Clinton campaign, particularly after she stole the primary from Bernie Sanders, uh, from the spouses of the Murdoch sons, folks, just go on your Twitter feeds and check out what uh, the two Murdoch sons, the, the heir apparents of the whole News Corp uh, organization, their wives were enormous supporters, both financially and publicly, of Hillary Clinton. So this this is, to a degree, a, a witch hunt that's operating all the way across the spectrum from attacking relentlessly President Trump with with one fake news narrative after another, while simultaneously obfuscating uh, the truth behind all of these scandals. And, I mean, Joe, we've got so many scandals at this point, it's, it's almost difficult to keep track of them, particularly when they start to all tie in. That being said, Hannity, and your dad has mentioned this a couple of times recently, Hannity is literally standing at Fox as the last bulwark. He's like the vanguard against the total capitulation of Fox News. Joe? That, that's a good point, but I just want to say this, and I understand that, you know, this is a different time period we are in, um, but the 9-11 and Iraq war cheerleading that we saw from uh, Hannity, and especially from Bill O'Reilly, um, you know, some of that stuff is unforgivable to an extent, but at the same time, like I said, we are at a different time in our in our country's history, and I guess if you're going to get it right, better late than never. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, that's always been, because growing up, you know, when I was 19, uh, 19 when the towers, when the towers fell, and the Bill O'Reilly's, the Sean Hannity's were very disrespectful to, you know, the truth movement and people who just wanted to ask questions about 9-11. Now, whether that was Republican cheerleading for Bush or, uh, you know, who knows? And I guess, um, like I said, it's, uh, it's in the past and better late than never to come around to the right side. But, um, yeah, in this time when we see so much happening, uh, to the right, to the conservatives, to just the, the moral fabric of this country, uh, we can't really pick and choose who our, who our friends are and we got to take them where we can get them. So, uh, you know, I do agree that we need to stand with, with Hannity, uh, here and now, but I just wanted to say, you know, don't, don't forget, you know, he would push for that Iraq war. He said there was weapons of mass destruction. And I'm not, I guess I'm oh, being critical in, of this past, you know, and, and it's just something to keep in mind. Well, Joe, I, I uh, not only respect your commentary, but I'm in agreement with you. I would like to pose this question to all, all of our listeners and viewers here this evening. And, folks, if you have an opinion that you'd like to share with us, please uh, uh, hit us up at studio at hagmanandhagman.com. Remember, two ends on Hagman and spell out the word and. You can reach us, studio at hagmanandhagman.com, and we are making a very concerted effort to read those emails, and even if it's a one- or two-sentence response, we're doing our level best to keep up with the enormous volume that we receive. But but send us your opinion on this, and here's the question I'd like to pose, Joe, and I'll bounce it back to you. Let's take just a quick look at three of the biggest voices of conservatism in the United States today. Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, and Rush Limbaugh. And I want to specifically mention that I left Michael Savage out of this, and I'll explain why. Over the past, let's just go with six months, the time that uh, President Trump has been in office, we are seeing progress. We're seeing incremental awakening from brilliant minds, particularly Mark Levin. 
And interestingly, and I want to give credit to the uh, news team over at True News for this, uh, Salem Network has apparently changed their criteria to a degree for what they will permit on air. When I was with Salem back in 2007 and 8 at KKLA in Los Angeles, if you went on the air and suggested that there was a soft coup against the president or you suggested that there were uh, numerous odious questions and inconsistencies in 9-11 or you even talked about the Federal Reserve and, and the debt-driven money scheme, Joe, they would kick you off air a decade ago when I was there. So we're oh, seeing yeah. progress. <laughs> And uh, I don't know. I know we, you didn't see this, John. I didn't send it to you. But I actually was going to play this during our show. There's a video from I, I found. Uh, I was watching some 9/11 stuff recently, and there's video from C-SPAN recently where they were doing call-ins with different politicians about different issues. And a number of callers uh, called in different times, different days, with different guests and topics to bring up and ask questions about Building Seven. And none of their questions were even addressed. They were completely you know, uh, shut down, they were ignored, they were told that's a conspiracy theory, this and that. So that still happens today. <laughs> a, consp a conspiracy theory. We're watching a live feed on BBC with a, what, seven second uh, is typically the standard delay for mainstream uh, television live I'm feed. Not sure it's generally TV. about seven seconds. Well, it, 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 it varies. I know that at uh, when I worked briefly over at the Fox uh, Sports Center uh, stage in early 2015 uh, I believe they ran about a 30 second delay so it does vary but we watched the, the optics are completely self explanatory we watched a BBC uh, news anchor announce the collapse of building 7 while building 7 is still clearly standing in the background now folks if you are interested in what we're talking about right now it's always good to do a little homework take a look at history uh, go back to early March uh, at HagmanReport.com. You can use the search feature on our website or simply go to our YouTube channel and you'll find it there. But we had Richard Gage, a return guest, to join us uh, in early March. In fact, that was the debut evening for Michael Cutler, who's become a good friend of the show. And educate yourselves to the intricacies of what Joe and I are talking about. And, and Joe, I know we've discussed this numerous times, but let's take a quick look at it now. I submit that when we look at the last, let's just say history of since post-World War II, the beginning of the machinations and the hardcore push toward total globalist control, toward the, the uh, slippery slide into beast tech and making way for the false prophet and even the Antichrist, we began to see that when November 22, 1963, with the the uh, murder of President Kennedy. My goodness, they took JFK, one of the most beloved presidents in history, and blew his head to pieces on national television. And the whole world saw it. And I believe that, that at that moment, that was when we saw the modern push. Now, you can say that 1913, with the creation of the Federal Reserve and the income tax, that would be a pretty good start point as well. But for the modern era, I would say the assassination of JFK serves as a bookend to then what we saw on September uh, 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 on 9-11 of 2001 and it's it's almost like the, the deep state the dark state has has a profound arrogance where they're not even attempting to disguise 
uh, or to sweeten their fake news narratives. And, you know, uh, and yet, Joe, at the same time, uh, I'm taking a look at, uh, at the WashingtonPost.com, and I'm not even going to go into the meat and potatoes of the article. But this is worth touching on, Joe, and I, I hope this is on your radar. West Virginia uh, Governor Jim Justice leaves the Democratic Party at Trump's rally. Joe, yeah, I saw that. When, when Reagan, I think, uh, yeah, go ahead, buddy. No, just on that. I, that to me, that just seems like a, a dog and pony show. I don't really find any sincerity <laughs> in it. At this point, what difference does it make what party you are? It's, it's a matter of, of accomplishments, getting things done for the people of this country. And I think uh, many people who have been following politics could care less. And if you're a good politician and you're and you're doing the right thing for the right reasons, people are going to notice regardless of what side of the aisle you're on. You're going to follow the Constitution. You know, to go out there and, and oh, I'm switching my party. You know, all well and good for for the people out there who who care about that stuff, but to me, it's irrelevant. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's a good point, and and it, let's take a moment to reflect on uh, Senator, a uh, deceased Senator Arlen Specter, who uh, who at least had the the candor to announce when he dropped the Republican Party and became a Democrat, he came right out in mainstream national media and said, I have to become a Democrat. I've got to get reelected. And, of course, we want to remember that Arlen Specter is also uh, the uh, mind behind cooking up the magic bullet theory with JFK. But the reason I brought up this departure of uh, Jim Justice is not so much the political expediency, and I agree with you there. I think that that's fairly obvious. Uh, but... I'm wondering, Joe, I'd like to hear your opinion on this. Do you think, uh, particularly when we look at Trump's uh, speech in West Virginia, and folks, if you haven't heard that speech yet, please take the few moments to go on YouTube and watch President Trump's speech in West Virginia. Joe, do you think that it's possible that maybe over the next 6 to 12 months, a lot of what in the Reagan area we called blue dog Democrats, labor Democrats, uh, Truman, Kennedy Democrats, do you think that it's possible that we could see uh, uh, almost an en masse movement toward conservatism? Because I know that through the South and in the Midwest and through the Rust Belt states, there are a lot of labor Democrats who are not comfortable with these tailspin antics of uh, crackpots like Wasserman Schultz and uh, Maxine Waters and Nancy Pelosi, etc. What do you think, Joe? Do you think we might see a few more people come over to the conservative team? You know, I don't know. Maybe they would uh, try to adopt more more left-center ideas. But as far as changing political parties, for the most part, um, in places where people have been politicians for a while or their fathers or, or family was in the past and now they are carrying the torch, that's like, um, you know, that's like sacrilege to these people. So, no, I don't really see people changing their political affiliation just because... Uh, you know the way the the country is is uh, perceiving them, um, but I do see maybe policy changes you know being made. And again, I'll go back to that just to say that it's really unimportant what political party you're from. Except now, you know, I was reading uh, a pretty interesting write up about what people who don't follow the news cycle on a daily basis, just the average hardworking American who doesn't follow politics, what they think of things. One of the things was that they believe, you know, the, the Russia thing is just a big joke. It's a witch hunt. They don't find any truth to it. And another thing that they believed is that the Democratic Party, regardless of how much they continue to try to say that 
you know, Republicans are the insane ones and the, and the threat to the country, the Democrats are being identified as the insane ones and the threat to the nation. And I, th- I thought that was interesting, but no, you know, I don't really see, um, I don't see people jumping ship from political parties. You know, it's all big, it's all one big game to these people, whether on the left or the right. There's very few senators and very few congressmen who really are trying to do the right thing by the people. And other than that, it's all just a big club, as George Carlin would say, and you're not in it. So, no, I, I don't see that. Um, and, you know, I mean, just it, it's just crazy what's going on in this country. We talked about a story earlier, and we don't have to really get into it, but this this kind of stuff that's ongoing, the people are, are sick of this social justice, political correctness crap. American preschools aren't gay enough. <laughs> Taxpayer-funded oh, University boy. of Michigan sociologist warns. An instructor at the taxpayer-funded University of Michigan has published an academic journal saying America's preschool classrooms are hotbeds for heteronormal or heteronormative play, where traditional fairy tales persist and heterosexuality is always assumed and ordinary and privileged. And they go on to talk about how they need more, you know, homosexuality in the preschools. It's just crazy. This is the kind of stuff that makes American regular everyday Americans just want to burn Washington to the ground. Well, it's embarrassing. I mean, look, uh, we talked about this earlier today on the Hagman Daily Show. And, folks, uh, shameless plug, if you haven't uh, stopped by, uh, join Joe and I for a few minutes each day uh, on the, the new Hagman Daily Show. We're having a great time with it. We've, we've got ten episodes in the can, and I think that we are improving each day. And we certainly welcome your your feedback. And, and you know, we touched on this earlier, and I didn't get a chance to mention this, Joe, but with Newspeak... Uh, and of course, folks, Newspeak is from uh, George Orwell's 1984. Whenever you see hyphenates, I think it's a red flag. Now, can you uh, repeat, please? What is that new? What's this new garbage word they came up with? He- hetero? Yeah. What? He- Heteronormative. <laughs> Wait, let me make sure I got that right. Let me make sure I got it right here. It is heteronormative. Yeah, heteronormative. Heteronormative. Now, yeah, when we and basically they say they, the article goes on to explain that uh, heteronormativity is rampant in preschools and classrooms. The layman's terms, the word heteronormative means that people aren't gay and don't cross dress. <laughs> well, you know, to give to give credit to to it's it's as bad as it sounds. To give credit to to Doug Hagman and folks, please take. Take a moment, say a quick prayer for Doug. He's, he's feeling under the weather today, uh, and certainly he'll be back in the saddle with us Monday evening. By the way, Joe, Monday evening, we will be joined for uh, three full segments by Michael Snyder from economiccollapseblog.com. So, folks, yeah, uh, check in with he's us Monday. Book. Yep, yep. He's got a lot of exciting stuff going on. We touched base earlier today. Uh, but say a quick prayer for Doug, and to give credit where it credit is due, Doug Hagman was way out in front of this. Joe, help me out here. Going back to maybe 2013, how many times have we heard Doug Hagman say words matter? And they really oh, do. Yeah. And I will, and I will say right now, I will make this commitment to all of our listeners and viewers and everybody in the Hagman family. As long as I'm the producer of this show and as long as Team Hagman uh, has the, the capability and the anointing to continue forward with these platforms, we will hold the line against Newspeak because words matter. And folks, understand that they use words as almost a baseline or a start point to, to massage your mind and to employ and, uh, 
and uh, and hit you right between the eyes with the slow, controlled conditioning that many of you have heard uh, me and Joe as well speak on with regard to Hollywood over the last couple of years. So, Joe, we've got to make the commitment right here and now. We will, we will hold fast. We will hold the line against this new speak. And I'm going to tell you what oh, absolutely. I enjoy. That's just a, a common sense thing for me. I'm not going to going to play their game you know it's crazy you better believe it and and i would Im- implore the parents and, and the grandparents out there and the step parents all of the concerned guardians of preschool age children do not put up with this crap if you have to get in the car and if you have to take a couple hours off work or sacrifice a lunch hour please get in the car get down to the preschool and make sure that your children are not being manipulated with this garbage because it's garbage plain and simple it's straight from the serpent and it goes back to what Joseph Stalin famously said I'm going to have to paraphrase this I don't have the quote in front of me but he said with regard to education give me four years with your children and I do not need an army sounds about right and that's a pretty scary thing to consider um level of control that these people exert uh when we when we look at just you know the educational system look at what they've done and language is it plays a huge part in this it's how we communicate with each other it's how we understand what we're communicating to each other and when they turn around and they change the definitions and create new words all it does is create confusion and you can call me racist you can call me a bigot you can call me a xenophobe whatever i'm not going to engage in their in their you know childish games uh, and that's exactly what this is <laughs> and what's what's crazy to me is that and I you know I've said this a hundred thousand times what's crazy to me in a way when I really think about it is that the news media and the establishment promotes this craziness you know there's not enough homosexuality in, in preschool and uh, you have to call people by the, the gender pronouns <laughs> that they want or we're gonna you know find you they're the ones pushing oh, this Lord craziness and if and if if they don't oust Donald, if a civil war isn't started by the ousting of Donald Trump, it's going to be started over the you know uh, the, these politically correct movements that are intruding into every trying to intrude into everybody's life. You know, I remember a time where people used to complain constantly about Christianity and how Christians, you know, oh just keep it to yourself and and you know you can do whatever you want. Well, whatever happened to that, you know. Uh, you know, keep it to yourself. Don't tell me about it, and, and do whatever you want. We don't live in those times anymore because now it's it's my way, or you're a racist, bigot, uh, you know, uh, uh, masculating hater. It's just it's insane. And thank God that the majority of people out there in this country don't uh, prescribe to this kind of crap, and that what we see when we pay attention to the news cycle constantly is just that it is the news pushing out this this garbage that 99% of the american people won't even read let alone uh, let it affect them by by you know getting into the debating of it and i think that's really the way to go you just got to keep ignoring these people and it's hard when you know they're infiltrating and, and taking over everything not letting people speak at events and uh you know they need their safe spaces or if they get triggered you know it's a whole big emotional thing and actually speaking of emotional i saw a, a a story about a college where these feminists want money for emotional damages for having to go to class with the rest of the normal thinking people they want people to <laughs> donate to their paypal for emotional damages because they have to live like in regular regular life it's well, insane well maybe 
maybe maybe Janet Yellen, uh, and certainly she's got a face for radio, but uh, maybe Janet Yellen uh, over at the Fed can just knock out you know QE seven or eight or whatever we're on, and let's just print out some more debt notes and we'll we'll pay the feminists off, and maybe it'll it'll quiet them down for a moment, and we can all collect our thoughts. But you know. Uh, we have a new mandate. Joe, I'm not going to switch gears here, but I want to make a quick comment on this. We have a new mandate that was described in, uh, I think it was mid to late May, by Doug Hagman. I was in studio that night. It was Doug and, and Joe and myself. And there's a lot of components to the new mandate, folks, but one of them uh, that I really want to encourage all of you with, and I want to make you aware of this and reiterate it, is we are putting a determined, distinct, and very highly motivated effort behind being uh, right on the spot with the news cycle. Many of you may have noticed that we are running more guests every night, and particularly in the uh, bottom of hour one, we're bringing in a lot of debut guests, a lot of investigative journalists, our Rolodex, and praise God, like thank, thank you, Lord, for providing us with all of these phenomenal voices and perspectives, but our Rolodex is expanding very rapidly, and it's due in large part to a lot of enormous help from people like Michael Thompson at World Net Daily, Bill McIntosh at Ocaso Media, Brent Bolesky at Spy Theater, Thomas Lifeson over at American Thinker. Folks, it's not just myself and, and all the listeners. We've, and all the listeners, amen, we have a lot of help and a lot of motivation behind us, and one of the the key things that we are operating under, and Doug termed it the new mandate, is we are going to be right in the face. We are going to get right in the grill of these fake news narratives. We're going to call it the way we see it, and we're going to get teeth to teeth with these people, and we're going to push back because we're at a time right close, now. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get that close to these people. Well, to be honest with you, I don't either, but um, yeah, we're at a time now, folks, where by, by way of encouragement, let me put it to you this way. Uh, join us as much as you can each week. Gather the information. And remember this, folks. Every single one of you has a platform. The Lord, particularly, and you can pray You can pray over this. This is not something that you have to manage by yourself. In fact, I would go as far as to say you cannot manage it by yourself. Pray on this. I'm going to borrow from Steve Quayle, one of the most potent prayers in the history of humanity. Jesus, help. And each of you have a platform. It may be a discussion with coworkers. It may be uh, uh, reaching out to friends on social media. It may be taking the extra few minutes to to respond with, you know, pop off with some pithy sarcasm on some of this fake news narrative on Twitter or whatever your favorite platform is. Each of us have a platform. And you know, Joe, as as disheartening as that ridiculous story about uh, our pre preschool children. <laughs> not being homosexual enough. Folks, we, you can actually use that kind of in the way people like George Carlin did. You can even approach this from a humorous point of view. Joe, I've got to believe that across the United States of America, and I've been blessed to, to visit almost every state in the country at one point or another, I still believe that most people out there are decent. They may be uninformed. They certainly have sin in their lives like we all do. But I think most people still to this point agree that any type of homosexual persuasion of any kind at the preschool or elementary school level is total rubbish. And and folks, maybe you're not comfortable diving into a 45-minute discussion with a friend or a relative about the Federal Reserve and debt-driven currency. Maybe you're not comfortable 
talking about undeclared wars and geopolitics. But certainly well, you can depends. talk with those. <laughs> that depends on how fast you want to get rid of them, you know? <laughs> That's true, too. Usually. Hey, you're going to be the life of the party. But, but folks, seriously, uh, and Joe, I'll hand it back to you, but, but we can all address some of these really obvious stinkers that come along in the news cycle week in and week out. I've got to believe, Joe, that nine out of ten people out there are not going to tolerate, uh, uh, you know, bringing homosexual, quote-unquote, education uh, into uh, preschool. I mean, that is ludicrous. It's satanic. It's completely antithetical to the, the manner in which the previous generations built this country. And to be honest with you, Joe, as much as I miss my grandparents, I'm actually grateful they're not alive to see this, Tom. You and me both. And and kind of switching gears here, this is another story. You know, when we talk about being attacked from all angles, this is another one, the, the Islamic uh, component in all this. Uh, this is a story on Hagman Report. Judge bans mention of Muslims and Islam at public meeting. Uh, a federal judge banned the mention of Muslims and Islam at an upcoming New Jersey town public hearing concerning an Islamic group's request to build a mosque. Now, this hearing is on August 8th, and it will discuss the $3.25 million settlement the Department of Justice ordered uh, Bernard's Township to pay in May to the Islamic Society of Basking Ridge for denying their permit to build a mosque in a residential area. Folks, this area was zoned for residential properties only. The uh, the Islamic group, whatever they are, came and said that they wanted to build a mosque in this residential area. The township said, no, it's only zoned for residential area. Find, you know, a commercial a lot or a zoning area which is more suited for your building. So this Muslim group turned around and sued this township, and not only did the township pay them $3.25 million, but they went turned around and allowed the construction of the mosque in this residential area. Now the uh, town is holding a public hearing on this matter, but they are banning folks from saying the words Islam or Muslim. If this was my town, I would gather as many people as I could and whether I had to put, you know, a T-shirt on under a coat or a regular shirt or make signs that I could, you know, fold up, I would go and do nothing but say Islam and Muslims at this meeting with as many Absolutely. people as you could. It's crazy. that I mean, people should be in the streets protesting this. The, the fact that they think they can not only change the laws for these people and, and turn around and give them money because they didn't follow the laws and they felt discriminated against because they didn't follow the laws. Not only that, they win, but the township then turns around and gives them the property that they were originally denied for because of the zoning. It is so well, crazy. It's crazy, and what they're doing is is they're they're using the social justice warrior technique of of what we've now termed virtue signaling. Okay, this comes directly out of. The Rules for Radicals, Saul Alinsky playbook, and it's it's a rehash concept that unfortunately is putting a lot of rubber on the road right now. And you know, uh, yesterday, uh, Joe, I got a call from Michael Thompson. He said, "John, have you seen the uh, Stephen Miller, uh, Jim Acosta back and forth uh, yet?" And I said, "No, I had not. I went ahead and watched it. I sent the link to to Doug and yourself." And uh, if you haven't seen that, folks, yesterday uh, a White House spokesperson, Stephen Miller, uh, took Jim Acosta uh, to task and really smoked him in classic debate uh, fashion. And it got me thinking, Joe, there is an art to debate. And uh, part of that art, and it's kind of a science too, is to refute emotionalism with 
critical thinking skills applied vis-a-vis the facts. And that's exactly what Stephen Miller did. And, and debate, you know, high school debate class 101, the last thing you ever want to do if you're backpedaling and you're getting your butt whooped in a debate is just say, shut up. That's like the last thing you want to do. Yeah, that shows you, you run story, out of arguments. You've run, you're out of gas, you're out of fuel, good night. And yet this story at HagmanReport.com, as curated uh, from our friends over at Daily Caller, it, it demonstrates exactly that. It's a group of people who have been shamed into hyper-emotionalism. Their critical thinking skills, uh, you know, have, have zigged when they should have zagged. And they're literally being told, shut up. I mean, <laughs> that's as good as they've got. And the sad part about it, and folks, this is where each of us must dig our heels in and not move, like, not one inch more. Because we're at a point where they're using uh, emotional, hyper-emotional tactics to essentially tell the moral, God-fearing, traditional Americans, the patriots, the listeners to this show, shut up. Joe? No, you're exactly right. And I don't know what you said there that reminded me of this, but something Greg Jackson said to me, a few weeks back, you know, about the healthcare system is that, you know, you can do everything in the world to fix healthcare, but as long as we have the, the, the constant murder of unborn babies through abortions, it would be like having the best healthcare system in Nazi Germany. It's not gonna matter. It's not going to last. And it's the same principle, uh, with all the stuff that we're talking about. We can change all these different things to try to make it better, but at the foundation, if we are not uh, a normal, moral, um, you know, God-fearing people. What difference is it going to make in the end? Because it's all going to be destroyed because of of this, uh, you know, creeping um, uh, evil that is constantly engulfing our system. And this is the root, obviously, of the problem that nobody will address—not in the mainstream media or hardly anywhere in the alternative media. But it is the the evil that has crept into the world, and the, the blame falls at the, the feet of the church first and foremost, because they're the ones that continue to conform to the world and allow, uh, you know, the world and the people who are in power in the world to dictate to the church what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, what's socially and politically correct and what's not. And they've, they've acquiesced to this, to these demands, losing all power and, and moral high ground in any argument that they have anymore. So unless we Absolutely. get to the, the foundation, the foundational issues of these problems, they're never going to be solved. And that's a, a reality that each and every one of us needs to understand and, and uh, try to work on somehow, or you know, work together to try to to uh, solve it, or at least turn turn it around to give us more time, if possible. Well, Joe, let's touch on this for a moment. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to extrapolate this a bit. What can the listeners do? You know, starting today, and I'm just going to you know be kind of personal and transparent here, and I'll tell you folks kind of how it went for me back in, let's say, 2010 through about maybe early 2013. And, Joe, I'll, I'll, it's going to be a fun moment. I will show uh, Doug and yourself these once I'm back in studio next week. But, folks, I have two shoeboxes full of these little tiny spiral memo pads that you can buy at the drugstore. Uh, you know, they fit in your back pocket. And for about two and a half years, I carried one of those and a pen in my right back pocket. I had my iPhone in my left back pocket and my earbuds. And I would listen to the Hagman Report, True News, 
Paul McGuire, Steve Quayle, Dr. Tom Horn. I was absorbing as much information as possible and on a, 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 uh, I believe a God inspired and anointed, even though I was totally undeserving. It was a vertical learning trajectory. But then, uh, once you've done that information gathering, once you've done that fact finding, I personally believe, Joe, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this. The place to start is is with ourselves, okay? We've got to get our spiritual houses in order. Folks, we all make mistakes. You're listening to one of the the, the worst uh, 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 sinners. I was the captain of the team at one point, and I do not say that with anything but total contrition. But we start with prayer and start with ourselves and understand that when we allow... Uh, uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit to begin to change us and, and it's, folks, we cannot do this on our own, it's got to be uh, a Christ centric effort, He's, you've got to give him the keys to the car and trust him to do it for you we cannot do it on our own but once that change begins to occur in you, it's almost Joe like, like Jesus has this amazing power to align your critical thinking skills with all of the knowledge that you've gathered and garnered over the past few years uh, across these different platforms and your spiritual capability, your emotional maturity. And it's almost like God can take all of those and level them into one single motivating force so that you're not scattered in a half dozen different directions, but you've got all of those capabilities, all of those talents that God gave you firing on all cylinders targeted in a specific area. And once uh, you've got that faith walk initiated with the Lord, then he will bring opportunities to you folks to share little bits and pieces of the messages that you hear, not just on Hagman Report, but from all of the brethren, from, from the folks at True News, the Common Sense Show, Caravan to Midnight. And, you know, thank God there's so many different platforms to check in with today. So I would exhort our listeners to realize that you know this may sound kind of like a Christian cliche but cliches are cliches often because they're true the change starts with you and once you allow God to initiate and jumpstart that change then you become uh, 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 weaponized you become a, a powerful potent uh, piece of artillery not only for uh, what we now call red pilling uh, others and helping them wake up to the reality of the globalists and their inner machinations, but also you're you're supplemented with empathy and with compassion for your fellow man. You know, a big part of the reason we do this, folks. I'll just speak for myself right now. I do this because I don't want people to suffer. Uh, if the economy implodes, if we go into another undeclared war, I don't want people to suffer. And at the end of the day, Joe, I don't want people to go to hell. No, and you're exactly right, and nobody should should want that. We were talking about on our show today of the the spiritual state of these people who were wholly turned over to evil, and you know that as much as they think that they're in control now, and um, that the evil that they're they can do on this earth, what's going to happen when you know their time on this earth is over? Um, and that's sad to think about for them. But at the same time, it goes to say that, you know, there will be justice brought to these people on, on, in this life or the next. And we have to, you know, we always have to remember that. And it is, um, you know, it, it is a spiritual battle and we have to be engaged in this, in this spiritual battle. And if we're not, 
then what are we doing for not only our own faith walk but for um you know the the body of christ and it's um it's unfortunate that today the churches have become so so neutered uh but you know that's the way it is and what i would say is people can do is you know talk to people in their churches bring them get bible studies going at your house uh you know inform them on different things that they might seem interested to to uh you know talk about that's the only thing we really can do and can continue to stay in the word and and um you know work on your own faith walk otherwise um you know by engaging in the world and and getting into this craziness you you could literally drive yourself crazy if it wasn't for uh you know the if it wasn't for faith if it wasn't for already knowing uh you know what jesus did on the cross how could any of us live in this world um with what's going on without going crazy well joe i'd like to to point out a tool that you know uh, over the three or four year involvement to one degree or another that i've been blessed to have with team hagman and and not only doug and joe but but the whole hagman family that really supports this effort and these platforms um we've always tried to fashion tools that you can put in your toolbox and and i remember joe back in 20 uh whatever it was 14 15 when we launched hh connections um that was one of the key points that really resonated with your dad i said doug let's start the new year by giving people a tool to put in their toolbox now here's what i'm talking about today folks uh we have over the past six months put a lot of effort we put an enormous amount of man hours uh, it's very labor intensive to take the three hour show each evening and we segment it. We segment it typically into at least three or four segments and then we, we, uh, do a lot of post production work. We clean up the audio and, uh, we add graphics and we make it very presentable. And so what you have at your disposal now, folks, whereas a year ago you could give a link or you could, you could shoot a, a, a episode of the Hagman report over to a family member or a friend or a coworker. They would have the immediate, um, uh, they would be dissuaded perhaps from, uh, giving a full three hours of their limited time to the show. But, but consider this, okay? Let's just look at the last couple weeks. Maybe the per, maybe you have someone in your life that, you know, uh, may not, they may not understand the economy. So maybe, Maybe a, a, one of our, you know, econ guests would not be the right person to to share uh, with them. But take a look at somebody like our debut guest a couple weeks ago, Lexi Best. She's a junior in college, LexiBest.com, uh, interning uh, in D.C. in conservative radio. Now she's a perfect segmented piece, and you can find it on YouTube. That's that's where you want to go to give your sons and daughters who are college age, they're going to relate to somebody like Lexi Best or Alicia Powell. Take a look at that phenomenal piece that Brandon House brought us just the other evening. And folks, that is also segmented, and you can find it on our YouTube channel. And by the way, please subscribe if you have not. It helps us out. But uh, Joe, that piece that Brandon did, that is an excellent piece to share with your pastor. Now, if you're a member of a church and the pastor is acquainted with you, you know, folks, if your pastor can't take uh, 45 or 50 minutes to uh, take a look at something that you provide them with. Well, you know, and I would almost question a lot of pastors, you know, what kind of A lot of pastors wouldn't look at that stuff, John. They believe it, you know, oh, it's only going to play into the division and doesn't pertain to me. And it, it's amazing what some, and this is just from my personal experience, it's amazing what some pastors will choose to ignore even when it's brought to their attention or to, to you know, downplay it. 
in a way we're saying, you know, oh, that's not what it means or this. I mean, I've had a pa- the pastor who, who married me and my wife, who uh, my mom has been a member of the church since I've been born. He was the same pastor there for 30 some years and he just retired recently. But, and I've told this story before. I, I quit going to the church I went to, a Presbyterian church, because they started to accept homosexual marriage and half the church actually left when that happened because the main body of the Presbyterians were the ones who do this to decide it because the building that that we were in at the church was was uh, purchased with the money from the main presbyterian uh, church body but you know i would bring certain issues to my pastor that were uh scriptural you know asking you know saying hey what about this why do you use the you know niv instead of the king james because this 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 and he would you know just basically um say no that's not right that's not even though you know you have the facts you have the papers you have the the evidence no 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 i, I don't think that's right um so you get that kind of attitude with pastors pastors in the most are you serious don't want to be engaged in any kind of controversy or anything that questions i don't know if if they're worried about their congregation or if they're they it's their own um you know mental um blocks that that are are in the way but maybe it's a little bit of both but i'm not sure and if you have a pastor that's willing to listen and engages in, in things that you bring to their attention, that's awesome. That's awesome. Absolutely. Well, Joe, uh, I know we're getting close to the to the uh, top of the hour break here, but I'll, I'll make this my final comment for this evening, except to say thank you so much for uh, allowing me the opportunity and the honor to come on for an hour. It's it's a lot of fun, folks, to step out from the you know from behind the curtain and and uh, visit with all of you from time to time. You know, uh, just looking at the rest of this month, uh, we have uh, commitments from Pastor Paul Bagley, as well as Pastor Mike Spaulding. And, of course, we will continue to run our uh, uh, every Wednesday Hour 3 message, uh, preaching and teaching from our, our dear friend and, and pastor, uh, Pastor David Langford. If you're not getting it from your church, we are gonna do, we're doing our best to provide a nice balance of news analysis and commentary, but we're never, Joe, we're never going to sacrifice or let go of the spiritual um, mandate upon this program. This program has been around for over six years, and folks, if you know the history of this show, uh, it is a it is a complete god shot. There is no way that this could have come together in the manner that it has if it weren't for the total no. anointing and the love and the support from the Lord God Almighty, and that puts an incredible charge on each of us to keep. So I want to encourage the listeners this evening, uh, as we move through the rest of August, and once I'm back in Erie, we're really going to start hitting it hard for the rest of 2017. We're going to do our best to supply you with many different kinds of tools. And you know what, folks? Take a look uh, at the book of Acts. It's a fun book to review. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Joe, it's time we... Uh, realize that the church was designed as a proactive, forward-moving body. It was not designed to be a central hub that you attempt to magnify people to. No, no, no. That's where that's a big part of where the church has gone right, wrong. It's right. not about swimming pools and campuses. It's about engaging people on a one-on-one basis, like like uh, like the uh, apostles did, uh, like what went down right after that incredible moment in the upper room, the very beginning of Pentecost, and and it's up to each of us to accept that charge. We have a charge to keep, and at Hagman Report, we're going to continue as the, to the best of our ability to maintain that charge. But folks, 
We need every single one of you behind us. And before I punch out, I just want to say quickly, we're doing uh, incredible things behind the scenes. Partnership with WorldNet Daily, 10 hours of new original content per week, as well as uh, increasing our guests almost 300% month by month. We ran 51 guests in the month of July. I'm borrowing this from Doug Hagman. Folks, we have outrun our supply lines. We're so grateful for those of you who support our sponsors and support the show. But, but by all means, prayerfully, if you can, help us out. We are really hitting the skinny pedal on the right. And if you can't uh, do so financially, we understand, but certainly continue to lift us up in prayer. And we'll be praying for all of you as well. Joe, thank you for having me this evening. John, thanks for joining me. Uh, fantastic hour and, and uh, that was a lot of fun folks when we come back we're going to have from thegunmag.com Mr. Dave Workman don't go anywhere we'll be right back you're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to hour number two of this Friday edition of the Hagman Report. This hour, we got a new guest coming on. His name is Mr. Dave Workman, and he is the, the Communications Director, Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, the Senior Editor of The Gun Mag, formerly Gun Week, the nationally recognized firearms journalist and authority, co-author of several books, including uh, the most recent, Dancing in Blood, author of Washington State Gun Rights and Responsibilities, award-winning editorial and outdoor writer, formerly served on the National Rifle Association Board of Directors, and is also a certified firearms instructor. Folks, you can go go to the website, www.thegunmag.com, and also saf.org. Mr. Workman, welcome to the Hagman Report. Well, it's very kind of you to have me. Uh, Thanks very much. I hope we have a good Friday evening here. Oh, absolutely, and I, I think we will. And just to let you know, th- uh, this is Joe Hagman here, my co-host, and Father Doug Hagman is under the weather. Uh, one of the first times I can remember him missing a show from not feeling well. So it's just going to be you and me tonight. And I've uh, I've done some some research into uh, looked on your website and and looked at a number of things, and and we should have a great show, um, Mr. Workman. Anything that you want to tell the audience about yourself? I know this is the first time we've talked, the first time you're a guest on the show that we didn't cover in your bio. Uh, yeah, first and foremost, my name is Dave, not Mr. Workman. That was my granddad. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have, uh, I, I write, uh, uh, daily for Liberty Park Press and for the conservative firing line. Uh, I publish stories both online and in print at thegunmag.com where, uh, yeah, I'm senior editor. Uh, I also have a, an online uh, column called Insider Online with American Handgunner. And uh, I've uh, written stuff for Gun World, Gun Digest, Concealed Carry Handguns. Uh, it has kept me busy and probably off the streets. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. Um, you know, tonight we'll, I think the topic was going to be the uh, Concealed Carry skyrocketing. We were going to start there. And many people, yeah. many people under Trump, uh, you know, we've seen during the Obama years there was a, a huge increase in the in the prepper movement, in gun sales and gun manufacturing, and there's been reports that you know certain areas there have fallen off uh, as far as sales and, and the surge that we've seen. But interestingly enough, when I look today, uh, concealed carry permits are are uh, increasing still dramatically. Yeah, they are. Um, I think that uh, the most recent data that has been released from the uh, um, 
uh, uh, John Lott's group, uh, and for some reason it just slips my mind all of a sudden. The, uh, uh, he has estimated that there are now at least 16.3 million citizens of the United States who are legally licensed to carry. And that really doesn't include all the people in the states where you don't need a license anymore. And there's a dozen states right now that have what we call constitutional carry. So you, you don't really need a concealed carry license to carry a firearm in those states. Uh, and there's also a small but growing open carry movement where people simply have just decided to carry their sidearms openly and uh, remove any doubt that they're uh, legally armed. So uh, that's it's quite a phenomenon going out there. Uh, I did a, a story this week uh, for Liberty Park Press that revealed the, the numbers in Arizona, Michigan, uh, Texas, Washington State, and Texas is above 1 million active concealed carry permits, uh, as is Pennsylvania and Florida. Then you look at Washington State, where we've got more than 585,000 people uh, legally licensed, and that's in a blue state, by the way. Michigan, uh, I think the number is something like 619, 620,000. Uh, Arizona's coming on with over 300,000 carry licenses, and they're one of the states where you don't need a license to carry. So I, I think you've pegged that pretty good. The interest in buying guns may have fallen off a little bit, uh, but not the interest in, in uh, taking care of yourself and carrying a firearm. That That is continuing uh, really strong across the United States. Yeah, and what was interesting about the um, the the statistic that you referenced is that out of the reported 1.83 million new uh, CC permit holders, this is since July of last year, um, the biggest increase we're seeing in the demographics of women and African Americans. Any any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that's uh, uh, an interesting uh, point. The uh, women have, I, I think, are discovering that. When seconds count, police are minutes away, just like those of us who have been carrying firearms for years. You know, police try to do a really good job. Uh, they are really outnumbered by the bad guys these days, and they can't be everywhere at once, and they certainly can't be at the at the scene of the crime, which they usually aren't. Uh, as for African Americans, I mean, all you have to do is look at places like Detroit and Chicago, where uh, the overwhelming uh, majority of crime victims in those places are African Americans and uh, I think it's only natural that they would want to defend themselves and their families just like anybody else so uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that interest growing uh, I certainly encourage everybody who uh, applies for a carry license to get uh, competent training and the uh, safe use and, and uh, uh, marksmanship, care of a firearm, and uh, you know, take an advanced class tells you when to shoot and when not to shoot. That's all good thing. Uh, it's, it's good thinking to do that. I know I've taken a uh, years ago. Me and my my father and a friend took a a law enforcement certified concealed carry class, and you know we learned things in there. Uh, and we live in Pennsylvania, an open carry state. 
but I, I learned things in that, um, you know, in that class that I still, uh, use to this day. And you, it's, it's more than just, you know, learning how to, uh, holster your weapon and keep the, you know, keep it from, from firing without you wanting it to and to load and unload the gun. You have to learn how to take it apart. You have to learn how to, uh, clear malfunctions when they happen. If you're in a live shooting situation and your gun jams, you need to learn how, uh, to deal with that situation as well as many. I mean, that's just one example of, of hundreds. Um, so it is very important for people, even in open carry states where they may open carry, to take a safety class and even a concealed carry class because it would never hurt. As the, the saying goes, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And as you said, the police are not there to prevent crime. They are there to respond to crime. And I think uh, a lot of people take that for granted. They think, you know, when something bad happens, they can call 911 and the police will show up right away and fix everything. But that's not the reality. Uh no, it's not. In, in fact, I, I live in a rural part of Washington State, which is uh, east of Seattle by several miles out, out in the mountains. And when we call the sheriff, if they get there in 5, 10, 15 minutes, that's typically a good response time, depending upon where the deputy happens to be at the time. Um, it's, it's sad uh, that so many people think... That they can just call the police and wait and life will be all good for them and, and the cavalry's gonna run to the rescue. But that's really not how it works and violence can happen so fast and it's over so fast and the bad guys can get away and then, uh, unfortunately sometimes when the police arrive, uh, their first thing is to draw a chalk outline around your dead body. So, you know, we don't want to go there, and, and an increasing number of uh, honest, law-abiding citizens are making that decision, and I think it's the right decision. No, I would agree with you more. Um, can you get into uh, statistics, or what is what is the the areas where more people own guns, more concealed carry, uh, versus crime? Many people, especially on in the media and on the left, will make the argument that more guns are, equals more danger, and that in, uh, you know, allowing citizens to have guns in certain regions and just basically anywhere in the country now, they say, you know, it well, creates that, that danger. But what is the reality of that situation? I, th- it depends on whose research you look at. Now, John Lott has done some research, uh, that comes down on the side of more guns equal less crime. There are other people on the other side of the argument, uh, who, uh, just uh, are adamant that having more firearms out there increases violent crime. I haven't seen any evidence of that uh, unless they uh, they want to go to where it's more guns uh, that are in the wrong hands increase violent crime. Yeah, I'd be willing to bet that nobody in Chicago who is uh, committing all these violent crimes who uh, the people responsible for all these random murders, maybe not so random murders back there. I think the body count now is above 400 in uh, Chicago for this year. Uh, none of those people are probably NRA members. They probably don't support the Second Amendment Foundation, and I'd be willing to bet not one of them has a uh, Illinois state carry license. But they're the bad guys, and they've got the guns, and, and now... Uh, thanks to lawsuits by the Second Amendment Foundation and the National Rifle Association a few years ago that forced 
the state of Illinois to adopt a concealed carry uh, scheme. Uh, the the tables are beginning to turn. More people are becoming armed. Uh, they're you know, they're obtaining their permits, and uh, you know I I guess it really does boil down to whose data you want to believe. Uh, and you know you're not going to get two people in the, in the same room who are on different sides of the argument to come to any kind of agreement on this. Uh, you know, one peer, one person will use the statistics his way, and the other person will use the statistics his way. Sometimes the data doesn't match. Certainly the arguments don't match. But uh, I, I think that uh, at the end of the day, you're better off, as you say, to have a firearm and not need one than to need a firearm and not have one. No, you're you're exactly right, and uh, it does. It, the the statistics can be be you know taken out of context or skewed to make one argument or the other, and um, you know that does get very frustrating. And we see the media and, and the uh, especially the left and some on the rights, their opinions of guns and and they if they had their way they would just ban them. But thankfully, with you know Trump's, uh, let, let's talk about Donald Trump for a second. Anything that he's done or has not done yet, as far as gun rights are concerned. That, uh, that, that has you happy or worried? Well, uh, the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the U.S. Supreme Court, I think, was a good move, and it was a solid move for gun rights. Uh, Mr. Gorsuch is a, uh, a respected, uh, member of the bench. Uh, he is a, uh, what I understand is a, a constitutional conservative, uh, which in my definition, that means he looks at the Constitution as a legal document. Uh, and interprets it that way. He doesn't uh, uh, try to reinvent the law from the bench. Uh, he's very much uh, in the in the same groove as uh, the late Antonin Scalia. Uh, I understand they knew each other. Uh, and Justice Scalia is the author of the 2008 Heller uh, ruling in uh, Washington, D.C., that actually affirmed that the Second Amendment is uh, protective of an individual civil right, and uh, that led to uh, SAF's filing of a case that struck down the Chicago gun ban two years later in 2010. That was the McDonald case. That was the Second Amendment Foundation's really landmark case because uh, not only did it strike down the Chicago handgun ban, it also... Um, incorporated the Second Amendment to the states via the 14th Amendment, and that was a pretty significant thing. So now the Second Amendment applies to all the states, and that's really important. I, I can't begin to tell you how important that is because it opens the door for a uh, an opportunity for SAF or the NRA or, or a combination of groups to file civil actions to overturn some of these ridiculous gun laws that we've been facing for several years. Oh, okay, so um, I guess I didn't know this, that the Second Amendment did not apply already in all 50 states, that we needed to put other laws on the books to actually uh, have the Second Amendment apply in, in different states. Is that what you're saying, that they had to uh, re-legislate uh, different laws in certain states in order to... Well. Uh, this uh, is kind of an odd deal. The the Second Amendment is part of the federal constitution. Each state 
has its own state constitution. That's why we call it the United States of America. Uh, we're not just America here. We're the United States of America. So we've got 50 individual states with 50 individual constitutions and the federal constitution. Um, some states didn't have and still don't have a right to bear arms provision in their state constitution, but uh, the Second Amendment uh, was incorporated to those states to affect uh, local governments and the state government. And, uh, you know, for a long time, uh, when there was a, a legal challenge to some of the gun laws, they'd re- rely uh, on the state constitutional provisions. Um, and until the Supreme Court came down on the side of an individual right, there were a lot of questions. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to people like you and me, of course, but that's just the way it was. Now that that question has been answered, and I think the next step, since we've already established that the Second Amendment uh, protects your right to have a gun in the home and it protects your right to have a handgun for uh, personal protection, uh, what we need to do now is get the Supreme Court to take one of the many cases uh, that will come available on the right to carry outside the home for your personal protection. Again, it makes perfect sense to guys like you and me that that right already exists, but there are certain statutes, and uh, I'm talking uh, particularly about Maryland, New Jersey, uh, California, for example, uh, they want to make it really difficult for people to carry outside the home so they don't give them, issue them, uh, carry permits to, uh, everybody who applies. And that simply discourages people from exercising their rights. And I think that's by design. So we need a case from the Supreme Court, which, you know, that's the final arbiter there, uh, to tell these states, hey, wait a minute, you're done denying people and discouraging people the exercise of their civil rights. Yeah, and I mean, that does make sense, I guess, stating, but see, I, I just assume that the, uh, the, the Bill of Rights applied, you know, unilaterally to all the states, and then they had their own states' rights from there. I didn't know that they were allowed to really differ from the federal law or from the Constitution as far as, you know, the main tenets. But I guess that, that, that does make sense. Um, with this, the Supreme Court, and is there any legislation that's pending now that should concern or, or a gun owner should pay attention to? Um, well, I, uh, there are a couple of pieces of legislation that were introduced earlier this year that uh, I, I think would be helpful for gun owners to contact their uh, members of Congress who are now home on recess uh, and their and their U.S. senators too. Uh, in fact, it would be wise, I think, for gun owners to. Uh, ring their phones off the hook. Uh, there are t- the two pieces of legislation I'm talking about are the National Hearing Protection Act, which would uh, make it um, legal and more accessible for average citizens to purchase uh, silencers, which are actually sound suppressors. They don't remove entirely the, the sound of a gunshot, but they suppress the the noise. Now, that's uh, an important thing for protecting of hearing, 
uh, I think and it, it all would also open up opportunities for people to hunt in, in uh, areas that uh, they can't hunt in now, uh, except with maybe bow and arrow because of the noise uh, problem and the concerns that it would raise uh, among the neighbors. And certainly for people like me who've, uh, I've started losing the hearing in one of my ears uh, because for years and years when I was growing up, I didn't use hearing protection at all when I was shooting. And, you know, there are a lot of people in my age group who have the same problem. And I, I really do like the, the idea of uh, protecting hearing, especially on uh, the growing number of indoor ranges that are around. So you uh, think this is related to the gunshots, uh, all your, your shooting history, the, the loss of hearing? Yeah, that and the fact that I drive down the road sometimes with my window open. So uh, yeah, anything that uh, uh, can affect your hearing, and, and particularly the the loud report of a, a gunshot, uh, that's something to uh, be very careful about. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I'd have known this less than 50 years ago, <laughs> but I did uh, and the other piece of legislation, which I think is uh, incredibly important, and uh, this is the one that the gun prohibition lobby is just going nuts about, is uh, concealed carry national reciprocity. Uh, that would be a, a, a boon, I think, to uh, armed citizens everywhere because it would require states to recognize a concealed carry license from another state. Uh, just like yeah. the state uh, recognizes a driver's license and driving is a privilege and they recognize the licenses carrying a firearm and having a firearm that's a protected right under the constitution and yet many states New York, California, Oregon again, Maryland, New Jersey uh, there are a bunch of them refuse to recognize out of state permits and licenses Passage of this federal law would uh, require them to do so. And, uh, you know, I think we know that the lawmakers from New York and New Jersey and all those other states I just mentioned, they are going to be adamantly opposed to that because they just want to run their states like little fiefdoms and uh, keep the people disarmed. They don't like the idea of somebody coming in from another state who's who's got more yeah. rights than their own citizens do. And think about this, folks: the you know with the the Real ID Act uh, after, and, and the passports now, you have to have a passport with a chip in it. And many states are even uh, disallowing travel from one state to the other because certain states aren't complying with the Real ID Act, putting the chips and the right information into uh, the driver's license and. The federal government is stepping in and saying, you know, you have to, all the states have to comply by this certain date, uh, with the Real ID Act, so everybody's on the same page. But with the gun laws, it's the complete opposite. And how many times have we heard stories of people getting in trouble, you know, from going from one state to the other, having their, their gun on them that they legally own and have, you know, permits for, and, uh, are getting arrested and getting, you know, felony charges in other states because they, as you just said, the licenses don't apply state by state. And I guess it's, you know, right now the responsibility of gun owners and, and that are traveling to find out where you are and are not allowed to take your firearms uh, right now. But, yeah, that would be a huge victory if they were able to get a, a universal uh, state or nationwide uh, gun license registration. That way they would know um, 
that, you know, if you have a gun in one state, you're allowed to have it in all these other states, too. And, and that's the way it should be. Uh, that's the common sense way. But we know Washington and these people don't do anything the common sense way. And anything to, to stomp on your rights as c- civilians, you know, they seem to, um, you know, jump at the chance to do that. So, yeah, that would be a huge, uh, a huge victory if they were able to get that through. I, you know, I, I, I think, uh, right now, uh, the Republicans are in kind of a tight spot because they ran on a pro-rights, uh, platform. There were a lot of promises made. There was a lot of talk that went on. And now it's time for gun owners to really hold these folks accountable and say, Hey, look, we helped you get elected. We gave you control of Congress. Now it's time for you to deliver uh, on the promises. It, 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 and they need to do that this year because we know that when we get into the election cycle, the midterm elections, that's going to go away. It'll be all uh, stump speeches again and campaign promises and not really a lot is going to get done because they don't want to risk uh, turning some voters off. We need to do that now. And it, uh, I'm pretty certain that Donald Trump will keep his word uh, and, and sign that kind of legislation. No, I, I agree with you. And if we can, uh, let, let's continue to talk about politics just for a second because you raise an interesting point about we, we talk on this show a lot about the inability of Congress uh, with the Republican majority in the in the House and Senate, uh, with the president ready to sign legislation as soon as it comes to his desk, their inability to get anything done, even though they ran on all these promises from the health care repeal to jobs and the economy. Um, and you you are out there in, in the world, and you deal with ev- average, everyday American citizens on a daily basis. Uh, what What is the sentiment of the people out there with the, I guess, with the... the progress of Donald Trump, but also the deep state, the establishment's ability to pretty much uh, neuter his agenda. Do you get, do you get a lot of uh, people that, that get into these conversations? Well, I, it doesn't happen every day or every hour, but uh, I know the sentiment of, of, of a lot of my friends, certainly, and people that I talk to uh, as part of my job. It's the public is really getting tired of this stuff. Uh, Congress, I think the best uh, what what Congress does best is nothing. Hmm. Now, let's get yep. that right up front. Uh, they they go through all these motions. They they uh, introduce things to committees, and uh, the legislation will sit there and gather dust for months and months and months. Uh, and then suddenly there might be a rush to, to pass this or that bill. Uh, and when they do things like that, it, it's almost uh, designed to prevent the bill from passing. Uh, they, they put on a pretty good show uh, to show the public uh, that, gee whiz, we're really working hard, we're doing something. But unless these measures get passed and signed into law, all they've really done is poke holes in the air with their fingers and give us a bunch of empty promises. Now, I'm a journalist uh, and by profession. That's what I do. But I'm also okay. a taxpayer. And 
as a taxpayer, I'm kind of tired of this. Uh, when we elect people, we don't elect them to lead us. We elect them to work for us. And that's something that uh, a lot of people on Capitol Hill and a lot of people out here in the, in the districts, they've lost sight of that. Those people work for us. And it's time for them to start delivering on their, on their promises and their campaign uh, and the intimations that they've given in their campaigns. You know, if, if they suggest they're for something, make them prove it. Want to see a yeah. vote on this and, and make them pass this. Otherwise, we're going to go out and find somebody else to do the job. Yeah, and I think that these uh, both um, people on both sides of the aisle in the political world are going to be in for a big surprise if they continue to drag their feet and not, um, you know, do what they promised and do what they. I mean, this is what, as you just said, this is what these people ran on uh, to get it to get elected, and now that they're in there, they they seem to uh, not to be able to do anything and it's very frustrating and so you and you just said that you were a, a journalist um by profession first and foremost i want to get your p- opinion on this and i think i already know the answer what is your opinion of the mainstream media since tr- trump's been elected and how has that changed if at all from before that um i have written this so it's so it's fair game uh, i have described the quote unquote mainstream media as a river where the current always runs toward the left bank. Hmm. And yeah. you know, a lot of people you have to think about that for a couple of seconds before they get what I'm talking about. But I, I think that what has happened since Trump was elected uh, has been a combination of shock and disappointment uh, and I think... Um, bad childish behavior on the part of several people in the quote-unquote mainstream press. Uh, I think right now you see all this stuff with the Russia controversy. The only people who are keeping that story are alive are the media and some of their cheerleaders on Capitol Hill. Uh, I don't know how many times it's been repeated by people who know that there's really nothing there. So, but they just don't want to let this die. And I think one of the reasons that that, uh, story, that that meme is being continued is because it distracts public attention away from the fact that Congress really isn't accomplishing anything. It, uh, it, it throws roadblocks in the way of uh, the Trump administration and the Republican majority from pushing through their agenda. Uh, and, I think that that's really uh, what's at work here, and that, that's really the bottom line. And that's very important when it comes to gun rights, because I think that uh, over the next three years, we're probably going to have one or two more vacancies on the Supreme Court. And we'd like to see Donald Trump appoint uh, and actually nominate uh, people to the Supreme Court who understand that there are ten amendments in the Bill of Rights and that the Second Amendment applies to individual citizens, not some state's rights to to uh, uh, create a militia. And right. that's that's also applies to the federal lower federal courts. Uh, Mr. Trump has an opportunity to fill something like a hundred empty seats on the lower federal courts. 
And uh, the Second Amendment people would certainly like to see the appointment of judges who understand that the right to keep and bear arms is an individual civil right. Yeah, and it's taken for for granted so much. Um, Folks, our guest is Dave Workman. His website is thegunmag.com. That's thegunmag.com. And we're going to get into the, the, go to that website and get into that a little bit here soon. And also saf.org. Uh, uh, Dave, just want to get your thoughts real quick on, we, we see this, uh, you know, Mueller, the, the, in the politics, uh, Mueller, the special prosecutor convening a grand jury. James Woods, uh, the actor issued a tweet today saying if the Democrats are successful in removing Trump from office with their dirty tricks, that there would be a civil war. Uh, if that were to happen, do you agree with that? Um, I don't know. Uh, I'd like to think there wouldn't be. Uh, I'd like to think that they're going to knock off this childish behavior and just let Mr. Trump uh, do his job. Um, he came in by surprise. Everybody that I know thought that Hillary Clinton was just going to waltz into the presidency. What Hillary didn't think about, and I think what she forgot along the way, is that you can't take the American people for granted. And she did that. Uh, she didn't go to Michigan. She didn't go to Wisconsin. She didn't campaign in, in a lot of places where Trump was there uh, time after time, letting people know that he really did understand their problems, and he, he cared about him. Uh, Trump was not my first choice for president, uh, but he's there. Uh, We need to allow him to uh, do his job to uh, fulfill what promise uh, that he offered the country. And I think that he's uh, his time in office so far has been uh, nothing short of miraculous in a lot of cases. I mean, look, look at the economy, for example. Uh, the economy is really growing. And the stock market topped 22,000 the other day. Uh, you know, we are, uh, surging. Uh, there's, there's new construction going on. We're putting people back to work with jobs in the United States. We're not sending jobs overseas anymore. Uh, we've got a, uh, a commander in chief who understands that the job of the military is not to push social programs, but to make damn sure that our enemies can't come over here and wipe us out. Uh, the appointment of James Mattis as the Secretary of Defense, the guy's a hardcore Marine. Uh, I tell you what, he's not the guy that I'd want to tangle with if I, hmm. if I thought I would go to war with the United States. Because you, with him in there and with Trump in there and with the rest of the cabinet in there, uh, if somebody tangles with us, they're going to come in second place. And there is no silver medal for somebody who comes in second place in a war. Very well said. Um, Dave, if we can, I, I don't know if you wanted to get, this is something you wanted to get into tonight. Uh, let's talk about your, your latest book, uh, Dancing in Blood. Well, actually, that's not the latest book. Alan oh, Gottlieb okay. and I have, have done another book. Uh, that we're both kind of proud of. It's called Right to Carry. And the subtitle of it is, I Carry a Gun Because a Cop is Too Heavy. And this is a, a book that is, it's fairly similar to one we did a few years ago, 
called America Fights Back. Uh, and it's all about uh, firearms and self-defense in the United States. Uh, it took us uh, about a year to write Right to Carry, uh, and uh, we were pretty proud of it. And in, in the meantime, uh, Dancing in Blood was our reaction and, uh, and, and I think our exposure uh, of a uh, a habit by the gun control crowd. Uh, actually, uh, they become a gun prohibition movement um, to literally capitalize and exploit human tragedy, uh, like Sandy Hook, for example, or Columbine High School, or or uh, the nightclub shooting in Orlando last year. Yeah, you exploit these incidents. To push their agenda, which, you know, Alan and I think that's just disgusting. Uh, and. Happens every time. Well, yes, it does. And I think that says quite a bit about the mindset of the anti-gunner. Uh, you know, you ask how low can they go? They never disappoint me. They always find something a little bit lower. And, uh, it's my job as a journalist to kind of expose that stuff. You know, they don't like that, uh, but uh, I remember when, uh, here a few months ago, a friend of mine, uh, Frank Miniter, did a profile of me in, uh, for Forbes magazine, and uh, you can find that online, and it was, uh, uh, I think, headlined something uh, uh, to the effect that if, if democracy dies in darkness, Dave Workman will light the torch with gunpowder, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, it, was a cle- it was a clever uh, headline, but... Uh, he interviewed me uh, by email, uh, and I thought he did quite well with uh, explaining what it is I do and why I do it. Uh, I went to journalism. I, I've got a degree in journalism. A lot of people in the news game, they, they try to portray me as a gun rights activist, which I'm not. Uh, I'm just a journalist who has a, a really interesting beat and uh, I come down on the side of my readers because the other the other people in the media don't typically do that. So I make sure that the millions and millions of law-abiding gun owners out there, they get their story told. That's what I do. Um, and so part of that job has been to uh, partner up with Alan Gottlieb, who founded the Second Amendment Foundation, and he's also the chairman of the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. So we've done, I think, uh, six books together now, and uh, that's journalism. That, that's really nuts and bolts kind of journalism. We tell a story that nobody else is telling out there, and we back it up with facts. Uh, and uh, I think these books, you can find them online at Amazon.com. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will send me an email or give me a call and, and say, geez, you know, I just read your book, uh, blah, 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 and uh, that's great. I, I didn't realize that was out there. I didn't know this. You taught me this. You taught me that. And, you know, that's that's very gratifying because at least somebody is reading this stuff, and they're kind of getting it. Yeah, and really, that's that's the purpose of anybody writing a book. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's nonfiction. Uh, when the reader finally gets it, and that's really uh, been all important to me. Um, now, you, you know, if you're looking for something to talk about, 
I just won a court case against the city of Seattle. Okay. Uh, I've reported about this at Liberty Park Press and in the Gun Mag and at um, a conservative firing line where I've got a column. Uh, about two years ago, actually two years ago this month, the city council in Seattle adopted a gun violence tax uh, that they were going to use the revenue uh, to do gun violence research and gun violence uh, prevention uh, activities. Now, uh, you know, almost immediately, uh, a historic lawsuit was filed to stop that. And the reason I say historic is because this is the first time that the Second Amendment Foundation the National Rifle Association and the National Shooting Sports Foundation have all been equal partners in a single legal action. In the past, NRA and SAF have teamed up on uh, other uh, legal questions. In fact, SAF and NRA sued the city of Seattle about six years ago to prevent the city from adopting a gun ban in city park facilities. But this tax was passed. Uh, uh, the question is now before the Washington State Supreme Court. In the meantime, last spring, uh, over a year ago, I made a Public Records Act request for the city of Seattle uh, to uh, reveal what it had collected in the gun tax during the first quarter of 2016. They refused to give me the information. Uh, as they are required to do under the Public Records Act, and the Did reason they, they reason okay yeah, yeah the the reason that they use and I can kind of understand this is to protect the uh, privacy of the individual taxpayers who are gun dealers in the city of Seattle. Um, they they don't want their tax uh, their personal tax returns exposed, and I can understand that. So uh, I I revised my request to just provide me an, uh, an aggregate number, a total uh, number on the revenue that had been generated by the gun tax, and the city still refused. Well, this went on uh, almost all summer long last year. Finally, in late August, I, I sat down with Alan Gottlieb, who is also the publisher of the Gun Mag, and I made that request as the senior editor of the Gun Mag, so this really is and always has been, to me, a First Amendment issue. Guns really don't have a lot to do with this. And Alan talked to the attorneys, and we decided to file a lawsuit because they were just jerking us around. Um, last Friday, because civil lawsuits always go kind of slow uh, in this country, last Friday a Superior Court judge in Seattle uh, Superior Court, King County Superior Court, came down on in our favor and ruled that the city had to turn over the information and also fined the city $1 a day for every day that they had withheld it, and that fine comes to $377. On top of that, the city has to pay our attorney's bills, which come down to a lot more money than $377. But to me, it's a, it's a personal victory because the Second Amendment, uh, again, has nothing to do with this. The First Amendment... Uh, really scored a victory here. This was a win for the uh, the citizens of Seattle. They're all taxpayers. They have a right to know what uh, uh, money has been collected and what money has not been collected. And 
this case actually revealed that the city of Seattle passed this tax kind of on a, well, almost a fraudulent argument. They predicted that they would bring in $300,000 to a half a million dollars a year with this gun violence tax, which assesses a $25 fee on the sale of each firearm, a nickel for the sale of each handgun, rifle, and shotgun shell centerfire, and two cents for each rimfire shell. Well, we did some math, thanks to one of the plaintiffs in the original gun tax lawsuit, who happens to be the biggest taxpayer of the gun violence tax. Turns out that the city has probably collected just over $100,000 from all the gun dealers under this gun violence tax, and that's a far cry from $300,000 to a half a million bucks. And I think the public has a right to know that. Absolutely they do. And, you know, it's amazing what the government's able to get away with as far as secrets and, you know, keeping things classified. They can just say national security or put another label on it, really. And, you know, that's their excuse as to why, you know, folks aren't able to see it or view the information. And that's very interesting that the – and it's good to hear that you did win the case and that, you know, the Constitution, the law was upheld and ruling on the state – on the side of a citizen over the government, you know, it seems to be getting – becoming more rare of an occurrence than ever any time in history. Dave, we've got about 12 minutes left, and I want to go to your website, thegunmag.com, and get into a few things. One, what is the 2017 Gun Rights Policy Conference? Well, this, I think, is the 31st or 32nd year that we've held this. The Gun Rights Policy Conference is an annual gathering of probably the who's who in the gun rights community. We get scholars. We get legal experts. We get grassroots activists who attend this thing. We hold two days – well, actually a day and a half of panel discussions about different things that go on in the firearms community. Alan Gura, the attorney who won both the Heller and the McDonald case, he is going to be there, I believe. John Lott is going to be there. Alan Gottlieb will be there speaking, I believe, because of this case I just won. I'm going to have a speaking role. We have people like Masad Ayyub who have been there to speak in the past. Tom Gresham, I think everybody knows who he is. Mark Walters, another guy who does a widely listened to daily radio show on firearms rights. It's just a whole lot of people who come together for what I think is one of the most informative and educational opportunities for the gun rights grassroots activists. This year it's going to be in Dallas at a hotel, and you've got it in front of you so you can tell the listeners. It's right near or next to the Dallas airport. And so getting to the scene of the crime, as we say, is going to be pretty easy. And that conference is going to be held on the last weekend of September. It runs September 29th through October 1st. And I'm hoping to see people there. We typically draw a crowd of 
uh, five, six, maybe seven hundred people. Wow. Okay. And folks, that conference, if you go to thegunmag.com or go to saf.org, you can find the information on the Gun Rights Policy Conference being held in Irving, Texas, and you can go there and, and register. And it sounds like a, a a fascinating event. And you know, we were we I got to go to Dallas a few years ago now for a conference there, and that's a it's a beautiful city. Uh, absolutely loved it there. And uh, it should be a great place to host an event like this. Um, Dave, looking at your your website here, I see a few things that uh, interest me. One, you have on your website on the lower right-hand side, useful gun owner links. Um, and you have stuff in there from media links to uh, different groups, uh, doctors responsible for gun ownership, uh, Jews for the preservation of firearm ownership. Are these all different uh, civilian groups that have teamed up with you uh, that you promote? Well, uh, I call them different citizen groups. Uh, and the reason for that, you know, we're all citizens. And uh, we make no distinction between uh, civil authority and the military. We're all citizens. And um, these groups uh, actually have joined forces with the Second Amendment Foundation over the last few years. Um, Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership uh they are a a small but very loud voice in a medical community that unfortunately seems to tilt quite a bit toward the gun control crowd and uh these guys are they're intelligent uh they're very academically oriented uh they're skilled doctors and uh, they present some interesting arguments that you won't hear typically from uh, the gun control crowd. Now, Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership uh, was started some years ago. Uh, the the founder uh, passed away, oh, I think it's been five or six years now, um, perhaps a little longer. Uh, the Second Amendment Foundation uh, brought them on board. Uh, we uh, have a, a small but very faithful membership in that organization, too. Uh, they have uh, really their own, uh, they march to the beat of their own drummer, I should say. And uh, I, I think we try to work together with those groups. Uh, they do hard work at their level, grassroots type work. And I think that's really important. And uh, for for people who are out there in the firearms community who are looking around for uh, a group to belong to, uh, look to your local gun clubs and, and then maybe join the Second Amendment Foundation. Join the National Rifle Association. Uh, you know, pick a, a gun rights organization that you want to belong to because, you know, as a journalist, I've observed over the years that there really is strength in numbers and uh, uh, particularly on this important issue. Uh, I, I can't begin to, uh, recall all the times that I have seen things happen that I thought would never happen uh, only because people turned out. They they, they rang the phones off the hook. They uh, deluged their congressmen or their state legislators with mail and with phone calls and with emails. That's the way to get these things done. And, you know, I, I, I get so frustrated 
by people who will tell you, oh, I don't vote, my vote doesn't count, or I, I don't want to make a, a, a big deal about guns because, you know, my neighbors don't know I've got guns. Hey, you know, we're in a, a, a situation and we are in a time in history when you've got to make some choices and you either stick up for your rights or you're going to lose them because you, if you depend on somebody else to do your fighting for you, you're going to lose. <laughs> Absolutely. Very well said. Uh, just uh, one more thing on your website here. Is this the uh, the gun mag? Is this also a uh, a magazine that people can get subscription to, or is this an uh, online? Oh, yeah. The gun mag is both in print and online. Uh, about six years ago, uh, we changed uh, the gun week format, which was uh, it was a weekly or uh, actually came out three times a month uh, toward the end uh, primarily because of the postage was killing us. But we changed over to a monthly uh, publication called it the Gun Mag, and uh, where the gun where Gun Week was kind of the newspaper of record for the firearms community, we try to maintain that uh, standard with uh, thegunmag.com. You can find us online uh, with daily updates. I know because my son uh, Josh is in charge of doing that. He, he put he posts stories every day on on the Gun Mag's website, and then you can get the monthly magazine, which is in print, and subscriptions to that are available. Well, that's that's fantastic, and uh, definitely something to check out, folks. Go to thegunmag.com. Now, Dave, we only have a, a minute or two left here. Uh, personal preference on on home defense weapons. Uh, you're a shotgun guy, a handgun guy. What do you what do you recommend? Well, I'm a I I carry a handgun almost every day. Uh, I keep a handgun handy. Um, uh, I like a 45 uh, Colt Commander. Frankly, I've got two of them. Uh, I think for a lot of people, uh, a good home defense firearm is a shotgun. And you know, watch, you'll, you'll you'll probably hear a lot of whines from from people who think they know about firearms. But uh, frankly, uh, heavy birdshot is a pretty good defensive load for uh, home defense because across the room, that uh, that load of shot is not going to open up really wide, and it's going to hurt when it hits. Um, it uh, also the two twenty three caliber rifle is uh, favored by a lot of people because the bullets are so small and light that they, they don't tend to uh, penetrate too many walls. Uh, so, you know, it, it's it's a matter of personal choice and what you can own and what you can afford. And even if you can only own one firearm, use it, practice with it, and, and become competent with it uh, because it could be your emergency survival tool. Yeah, that's that's one thing that uh, we definitely learned, you know, with the the concealed carry class I took, is that you know when you need you need to it's like a basketball when when professional basketball players or, or any sport they have certain plays that they run and they have certain go to plays that they run you know when they're in the fourth quarter and and they're extremely tired and and uh, you know their stamina is gone that they run these plays in practice so often that they 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 should be able to do it in their sleep, and they do this for the purposes of when they're exhausted, when they're tired. When you run into a situation where you're going to need your gun, um, that training is going to come in handy because you're going to be in that fight or flight mode, and you know you're not going to really 
any hesitation, and you could, um, you know, put yourself in, in severe uh, harm's way and danger and maybe even a life-threatening situation. And it's so important to, if you have taken the responsibility to own a firearm, to get to know your firearm, know how to use it, and, you know, know all the ins and outs of it. You can never have enough practice. Dave Workman, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. I hope we can have you back in the future. Uh, this was a, a fantastic interview. And, uh, again, thank you so much. No, I've been delighted. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Folks, the website, thegunmag.com. And if you're interested, the 2017 Gun Rights Policy Conference, September 29th, 30th, and October 1st in Dallas, Texas. Go to thegunmag.com. It's right at the very top right-hand side. You can click there and, and register and get all the in, information. But uh, as Dave said, bookmark the site, the Gun Mag, as uh, he said his son updates it regularly with uh, with stories and, and whatnot and content. And it's a, it's a very interesting site. Folks, we are coming up against the break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be joined by another first-time guest. And apparently some people in the chat that I've seen are already familiar with this man, a Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. And he is the author of the book, The Antidote, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. And folks, if you're interested in his book, you can go to the banner at the top of our site, Hagman Report, and there is the WorldNet Daily um, banner. And just use the promo code Hagman, and you will get a discount on the book. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of The Hagman Report. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. 
For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition, this final hour on this Friday edition of the Hagman Report. Joe Hagman here, your co-host, flying solo tonight. Not even Tech Eric is here. It is just me alone in the studio, and it's been a great show so far. John Robertson joined me in the first hour, and we had a great discussion on news and a number of other issues. And we just got done with uh, Dave Workman from TheGunMag.com, and that was a very interesting interview. Now we have another debut guest. And uh, I'm excited about this interview. Uh, this is Mr. Reverend, Mr. Reverend, Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. He's the author of a book, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. And folks, you can go to jessieleepeterson.com and also rebuildingtheman.com. And uh, Mr. Peterson is the most courageous, outspoken critic of the modern-day civil rights establishment in America today, raised without his father, on a plantation near Tuskegee, Alabama, during the Jim Crow era, Peterson has lived a part of America's history few have experienced. After a spiritual transformation, Peterson found Bond, a nationally recognized nonprofit organization dedicated to the rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. For the past 27 years, Bond has been helping men and families with counseling services, mentoring, uh, and many other things. Um, we're going to bring Mr. Peterson on, Reverend Peterson. Welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate you having me on, and you can call me Jesse. Okay. Well, Jesse, it's great to to meet you. I know we didn't Thank get a you, chance man. to you talk too. before the show. We didn't get a chance to talk before the show, but apparently, uh, several of our listeners are already um, acquainted and and have a, a great idea of who you are, and that, so that's always good to see. Uh, you're the <laughs> author of a book, The Antidote. Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood. Uh, where do you want to start tonight? Well, first, I want to say to the folks that they can get uh, the antidote on Amazon.com as well or in a bookstore. But 
Well, I want to start is by saying that um, in, in this book, I've written several books, and The Antidote is one that I've wanted to write for a long time. And my publisher finally said, okay, you can write whatever you like to write, no restriction. And so I wanted to write about what's really wrong in our country, especially with black Americans. And so in writing The Antidote, I have proven that racism does not exist. It has never existed. And that we've been told a lie in order to use us in order to gain power and wealth. The race hustlers like Jesse Jackson, Lewis Farrakhan, you know, Al Sharpton, Sharpton, most of the black preachers, um, Barack Obama, and the liberal white social justice warriors. They have made that word up because it put fear in white people and it also, uh, it brainwashes, it put blacks in a hypnotic trance. And with the fear of white folks, they can intimidate them and get what they want. Black Americans, not all, not all, not all, but most are suffering not because of that lie of racism, but due to the destruction of the family and the lack of moral character. Most black people are immoral. You know, you make you make some some great points, and one is, um, you know, the, <laughs> let's start with the social justice movement. Uh, you know, this is one of the more incredible things that I've been able to witness. I guess. It, it's been around for a while, but we've seen what with the election of Donald Trump, um, this just explosion where even the establishment and the media are are piggybacking off of this and you know playing into this. And and um, what you said about you know that there's never that it's not racism. What would you call it? Hate. Uh, it's hate. It's either okay. you either have love or you have hate. I'm a battle according to the scriptures and what God has allowed me to see by causing me to overcome my anger, he has allowed me to see that our battle is a spiritual battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirits and principalities, evil and wickedness in high places. He doesn't say we wrestle against color. He doesn't say we wrestle against male and female. And Christians, if they're truly born of God, should know this, but they have allowed themselves to be lied to by the children of the lie. And that is the, you know, the Democratic Party, the liberal media, the race hustling black people, and the right old Republicans. And it's time that we wake up from this and start telling the truth, because if we don't destroy that lie, it will destroy us and this country. Look what happened under Barack Obama. White Americans thought that if they gave black people a black president, then black Americans would know that they are not against them. And so they gave this man to them twice. They re-elected him. And instead of things getting better, they got worse under Barack Obama. The races are more divided than any other time in history because Barack Obama is not an honest man. He's one of the children of the lies. And so we got to start telling the truth in order to overcome the lie. You're exactly right. And one thing that is is absent in this culture uh, is common sense and, and truth. People have seemed to gravitate toward deception, towards the negative emotions such as hate and, and uh, what we're talking about. And we've seen, as titled in your book, this victimhood mentality. Um, yeah. Let, let's go into a little bit uh, first 
the the African American community has uh, been a political pawn for both parties, but mainly the Democrats as of late. Yeah. How come? I guess it's like most Americans. I was going to ask, how come they don't uh, realize that they're just used, you know, to gather votes during election cycles? Then, you know, the, the promises that are made to them are never, uh, never come to fruition. But I can, I guess, that applies to all of America when it comes to politics. Because most Black Americans, not all, not all, not all, but most have been uh, catered to. They have been given free stuff like welfare. Uh, free housing, free food, free programs, affirmative action. And they've been trying to get what they call reparations from the government, the Democrat the Democrat uh, aspect of the government. And they have given these folks this free stuff for the last 50 years or so, generation after generation. And they have been telling them, we love you. The Republicans don't. The Republicans want to put you back in slavery. And when you give someone something free for so long you spoil them you also cause them to be subject to you and so they have done that in order to get the votes from the black from black americans never mind that the the the, the politicians are corrupt immoral they're liars they they hate what's good they hate the family they hate god they hate country but because blacks have been given free stuff they don't care about any of that and also most black people are angry um, and they're angry at their mothers because their mothers have been impatient with them. Their mothers have turned them away from their fathers. And the worst thing that can happen to a child, male or female, and never mind the color, is to be turned away from the, the father. Because when you turn children away from the father, you turn them away from God. And so, because there's an order to life, and that order is God and Christ. Christ and man, man over woman and woman over children. The father, the man, is the Christ of his family. And when you take him away, then evil come in and take over the women and children. And instead of uh, someone telling black people that they need to forgive their mothers for turning them away from their fathers and then turn back to their fathers, they're telling them that it's this phony idea of racism that is the white man. And when you're angry, Joe, it's hard to believe the truth. You can only believe a lie, and they know that, and that's why they keep the blacks angry. Um, Jesse, let me ask you about the the churches in African American communities. I know, um, you know, just from the churches overall that, and we talk about this a lot on the show, that they seem to have conformed to the world rather than sticking to the foundations of of scripture. And what the Lord taught us, they are, uh, you know, accepting homosexual marriage in churches. They are changing their doctrine to, you know, fit different political agendas and social agendas. Uh, is this the same way in in African American church communities? Is, is the church in the same downward spiral? All across in the, the black country? community, you have a better chance of finding God or returning to God by staying home than you do in the average black church. Even some of the major ones that you know, like T.D. Jakes and others, you have a better chance of finding God by staying home. Those men can care less about salvation. They care less about what is right. T.D. Jakes was asked about so-called homosexual marriage, and he said that, well, he's rethinking that now. He was against it at one time, but now he's rethinking it. Most black preachers hate white people. 
they blame white people for the lack of values and the lack of structure in the black community. And they're doing it, too, for personal gain. Because, as you said, and as I write in the book, they feel like victims. And all angry people feel like a victim, and they blame other people for that feeling. And so, yes, the, the black churches have lost their way a long time ago. And it's just so unfortunate because now all they do is make black people feel good about being wrong. You know, they go, they sing, they dance, they read the Bible, they give up money, but they don't deal with sin. They don't tell black people that they need to repent and turn away from evil. Stop supporting people who they know is supporting everything that's wrong. So absolutely, they have failed. They have become uh, just like the world. The world is now, secular society is now running the churches. Yeah, and we, we've been warned about this time in, in Scripture. Yeah. You know, that in the end times, I think this is in Thessalonians, that perilous times will come, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, and it goes on to talk yeah. about, you know, really a laundry list of, of uh, behaviors that we will see from not only the church congregants, but the leaders in the world in general. And many believe we are we are at this point. Uh, but one of the things that I like about what you do is that you offer a solution to a lot of the, to, to these problems. You, uh, with your own insight, and you said your own um, a spiritual awakening. If we can, you said you uh, in here you had a spiritual transformation. Can you get into that a little bit? Um, I um, long story short, I I grew up down in Alabama on a plantation. My father got my mother pregnant when they were dating. They were like 18, 19. And uh, when my mother told my father that she was pregnant, he denied it. He was a teenager, so he denied it. And my mother became very angry at him and didn't want anything to do with him from that point forward. And so what happened was she married my stepfather before I was born because in those days, it was an embarrassment to have children out of wetlock. Black people just didn't go around having babies out of wetlock because it was an embarrassment, and she didn't want me to be born out of wetlock, so she got married. But she didn't give up the anger toward my father. As a kid, I had a yearning deep down in, in my soul for my father. No stepfather or no one else could fulfill that. And as a kid, I knew I wanted my father, so I would ask my grandmother about him, and she told me who he was and she would secretly allow him to come see me and I have to tell you Joe every time I saw my father I felt completed but when he would leave that boy came back and then I would ask my mother about him and uh, she would say no good you know forget him and I thought she was mean as a kid for doing that so I started to resent her but at the time I didn't know this and so I grew up even though I had a good upbringing by my grandparents and things like that but I still had that deep down in my soul a yearning for my father an emptiness and so I moved to California and I was very insecure I had a lot of doubt fear and worry and all that kind of stuff and I'm making a long story short here but I finally asked God because I would ask the black preachers you know like I read the Bible I go to church I give money I do everything you guys suggest but it's not helping me what's wrong and they would tell me that it wasn't me it was racism it was old white man trying to hold me back and for the first time I started to resent white people because I believed a lot that was coming from the preachers and Jesse Jackson and Louis Farrakhan and others my life went to hell in a hairbasket because 
what you put out come back on you. But I finally asked God to let me see what was wrong. Let me see myself. Because the beginning of wisdom is to know yourself. You know, you have to know what's wrong in order that you might repent. So he allowed me to see that I resented my mother for turning me away from my father, and that resentment was keeping me away from him, from God, and it was hurting, you know, destroying me within. And when I saw that, man, I just, I had a, a sadness that came up on me. It is not like a a human sadness. It was like a deep sorrow for resenting my mother. And so I realized I needed to forgive her because God said that when we go and apologize to others for being angry at them, which is unforgiveness, that he, God, will forgive us. We're not supposed to ask people to forgive us. We're supposed to forgive them, and God will forgive us. Because if you ask someone to forgive you, most of the time they won't because they like that control they have over you. But when I went to my mother, I apologized to her for resenting her. I told her why, and I apologized for resenting her, for turning me away from my father, and for seemingly be, to be impatient. And when I forgave her, God forgave me, and he gave me perfect peace. Then I went and talked to my father. He explained what happened. And I have to tell you, Joe, I returned to my earthly father. He and I became one, and that void I had disappeared. It was gone, and that allowed me to return to God. Because you're not going to get to God unless you forgive your earthly father, because he represents Christ on earth. He is, you know, the Christ on the earth. He may be a poor example, but it's still real. So when I forgave my earthly father and returned to him, I was fulfilled. And it allowed me to return to God. And now I see God as my father. I don't see him as God. Somebody that's way out yonder somewhere that, you know, I'm never going to reach. He is my father. He dwells within me. And he loves me. And he guides. He is guiding me. And so that's why I urge all men and women, boys and girls, to forgive their mothers and then return to their fathers, and then they shall have peace and be made whole and start living. That's what salvation is about, a return to the Father. I don't know if you remember, Joe, but in the Scriptures it says that there will come a day when I'll return the children back to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And that is adult children and young children. He said, unless I have to come and smite the earth or something like that, smite thee. So that time is at hand right now. we got to return the children young and old, boys and girls, men and women, back to their fathers. No, you're exactly right. And uh, in regardless of if it's in the African-American community or any community, we see this uh, this society that's become so morally bankrupt, and it's almost this, this, uh, this evil in this culture is encouraged, and people are becoming less responsible, and children are... are uh, it's really damaging to children. And what you said yeah. about unforgiveness... Uh, is so important, and this applies to just about every area of life. Because, and I was talking about this on on our daily show today. When even the worst of the worst people on this earth, um, who we we see on a daily basis, you know, whether they're uh, promoting these evil ideas or uh, committing these evil acts, we still, as much as we might despise what they do, the the responsibility to forgive them is on us. Because just as you said, and as it says in the scripture, any unforgiveness we show towards other people 
the Lord is going to judge us by that and forgive yeah. us based on our unforgiveness. And as hard as it might be to try to to forgive someone, um, you know, who is, uh, you know, just some of the worst people on earth doing the worst things, <laughs> yeah. it is our spiritual duty, and we need to to make peace and learn how to do that. And if we can't do it, we need to, as you said, we need to ask God um, to show us how to to have that forgiveness in our heart so it's sincere. But another thing you said is that you asked the Lord to to show you what was hindering your spiritual growth. Yeah. And and he did that uh for you. And more often than I mean, if people are sincere when when they ask and they have, you know, for the right reasons, the Lord will reveal things to them as long as they're they're dedicated and they're sincere. And you know, it's 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 a hard thing to do uh to to go back and to deal with these the, you know the root causes of what's going on it's like um people who and have I do want diseases just make the quick point that forgiveness doesn't mean that you're weak you speak up but right. don't hate as a matter of fact you can fight evil with good better than you can fight evil with evil which is anger so it's not going to be that you're going to give into the darkness of the world you're going to be able to deal with it with the light of god within you and it's much easier to hate than it is to love and yes. that I mean, and we're we're commanded, you know, even if you're angry at uh, a fellow human being, that that is the same as as murder in the eyes of the Lord. Just as if you look at another woman, uh, you know, in a lustful way, it is the same as adultery. And we need to understand that um, not only our our words, but our thoughts have consequences. Not only uh, in the physical world, but in in the spiritual world as well. And from yeah. your experience, uh, Jesse, you said that. That until your your eyes were opened uh, to inner uh, feelings that you dealt with, that your spiritual growth was basically hindered, and that was um, you know the the breakthrough that you had, which is a, it's absolutely um, amazing, and, and thank God that 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 happened um, in your you life. Know, Otherwise, you wouldn't be. Thank here. you. You know what was so interesting? I didn't know. I had read in the Bible, or maybe even heard about it, but I didn't know you can actually see. But because when when God took away the spirit of anger, and uh, He allowed me to see from within, and that's been so amazing to me. You know, the the blind man in the gate said that I once was blind, but now I see. And the people want to know, well, what happened? How how are you able to see? He said, I don't know, but that man made me see, and that's what He's done. But you are not going to be able to see until you can overcome this the spirit of unforgiveness, that anger. The anger is of your father, the devil. Every man, woman, and child who has anger, Satan is their father. And no man is going to, no person is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven within until he forgive. Before you forgive, you must, I mean, before you enter into the kingdom, you must forgive. Um, And the hardest thing about forgiveness is that the average person don't want to see that they are wrong. They want to blame someone else for being wrong, and so they don't want to see that they are wrong. Because forgiveness is not something that you can make happen. Of ourselves, we can do nothing. It's a spiritual thing, right? And so, but when you can see that you're wrong, yes, there are people who violate our lives, our parents let us down, but we are wrong for hating them. We're wrong for being angry or resenting them. And if we can just see that we are wrong, then God will cause us to repent. Because even repentance is something, is a spiritual thing, and only God can make that happen once we 
really see that we were wrong for holding this anger toward our parents or anyone. Yeah, very. I mean, very well said. And and uh, there's a saying that that you just brought to mind that I'm trying to to remember the full saying that anger um, usually is just a, a cover emotion that when somebody's angry. There's other emotions that are going on that is being masked by the anger, whether it's uh, being hurt, being sad, um, that it, the anger is just a, basically a defense mechanism in some cases so people don't deal with their real feelings. And yes. uh, being being able to self-examine uh, is so important, and it has a lot to do with what you're talking about. Many people even refuse to do that much, to even look at themselves, and as you said, to admit they're wrong, to admit they have problems of their own. And yeah. it is, um, it, it's unfortunate to see. And the, the culture of victimhood that you talk about and that you write about in your books, um, let, let's talk about this a little bit. The, this victimhood mentality, and we see, we see it with the social justice warriors with, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's just, it makes no sense to me. And I'm 34 years old. Um, you know, I, I was raised by a good family, uh, raised in the church and, it just it does not it doesn't compute with me and maybe it's a just the way I was raised a generational thing and you know I've I've been arrested I've had uh, you know lots of troubles in my life that I brought on by myself but uh, all, more often than not I always learn the hard way. What is it that that people believe um, they are going to accomplish by labeling themselves as some kind of oppressed or or victim class of a person? They feel that they gotta. Uh by feeling that way and claiming that, that they're going to get what they want by accusing others, that they're going to put guilt. Like black folks have done for toward white people for the last 50 years or so, they have made white people feel guilty for their problems. And in feeling guilty, white people give them whatever they want, whether it's affirmative action, whether it's a job, whatever, because white people feel a fostness of responsibility for black people when they really have nothing to do with the destruction of black Americans. Slavery has nothing to do with it. It's the failure of the father and mother. And I write about that in the book, uh, Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. Michael Brown up in Ferguson, Missouri, his father and mother failed him. They were no good. They were not together. Uh, uh, whenever Michael Brown's father would go to try to pick him up, the mother gave him such a hard, difficult time to try to prevent him from getting his son that he had to finally send someone else over there to get Michael. Michael finally went to live with his father, but his father's life was out of control. And, uh, and then they sent him to his grandmother, and then by the time he got there, he could, she couldn't do anything with him. So Michael Brown had felt a lack of love from his parents. He had no direction, so he became a thug. Same thing with uh, Trayvon Martin. I don't know if you remember, Barack Obama said if he had a son, he would look yep. like Trayvon, yep. encouraging that hatred. And so Michael Brown went out in the street, and Trayvon Martin did, and they both became thugs. And they are both dead today because of the lack of good parents and the lack of love and becoming a thug. And, it's, and instead of T.D. Jace and Jesse Jackson and most of the black preachers telling black people you need to get married and be a good example for your children, they blamed it on racism, this false illusion idea of racism. They blamed the white cop, and they did that to keep black people feeling like victims, keep them angry at white people and white cops. 
And the reason they do that, Joe, is because in my book I write, write about Barack Obama, Louis Farrakhan, and others, and they grew up with our fathers, and they had angry mothers. Louis Farrakhan's mother told him that she wanted to abort him with a clothes hanger. Um, wow. uh, yeah, Barack Obama's mother um, was a white woman, but she taught him that white people were racist and that hated black people, and so did his father. His father didn't live with him, but they ta he taught him the same thing about America and Africa. And so Barack Obama can identify with Trayvon Martin and Jesse Jackson and that Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter organization is an evil, agitative, hateful organization that's uh, is organized by black lesbians and homosexuals and white social justice warriors. And they are evil organizations. Barack Obama can identify them with them. That's why he invited them to the White House more than once, the heads of the organization, because he has the same missing of love and hatred in his heart as they do. And so, it's, once again, it's all about the family. Even though Barack Obama was the president of the greatest country on this side of heaven, it still could not fulfill that void and that yearning of a father. And that's what's really going on. You know, you, you mentioned um, um, Black Lives Matter, and maybe it's just the, the time I grew up that, you know, when it comes to, to racism and stuff, it's not something I've ever experienced or witnessed. Uh, you know, I grew up, I, ha I have lots of, of friends from many different backgrounds, and it was yeah. just never something we had to deal with. And, um, you know, when you talk about how, even uh, children in African-American communities are raised by either their mother or their father, depending on the family dynamic. And and we see that the, the family dynamic is, is broken in African-American communities at a disproportionate level. Why is it the uh, the generation after generation continuing to, to, to promote the hate and anger onto their, yes. onto their kids, which is yeah, why, because yeah. uh, I don't understand, yes, you know, why, why this is able to continue to, to happen when it seemed, you know, we, we the country got past slavery and, and the civil rights movement, you know, the the right to vote and equal treatment, but we seem to be retreating back with, you know, the social justice movement and others where it seems that, you know, we see people calling for segregation and safe spaces, going back to exactly what their, their ancestors and everything fought against. And it's kind of, to me, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, and it's hard to me, understand the mentality. Me. Black Lives Matter is worse than the KKK, the, the uh, NWCP and others. But yes, because most, not all, not all, not all, but most black people don't have love. They only have hatred in their hearts. And they are passing that hatred down to their children. And those children are being told over and over again, generation after generation, that it's the white man. And so instead of things getting better, they're only getting worse with black people and with the racist. And it's never going to change until we repudiate the black community and insist that they return to God. Uh, it has never been as bad as it is with the black race. When I was growing up down in Alabama, black people, for the most part, did not have this type of hatred in their hearts. We were taught that there was good and bad in all cultures of people and that we should pe treat people the way that we would like to be t uh, treated. Uh, but this started with, this hatred started with the civil rights movement. Even though Martin Luther King at one time was saying, love your neighbor, you know, treat people right, overcome evil with love. 
uh, with good, that changed once uh, Jesse Jackson and others took over. And I write in my book how Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson did not get along. Jesse Jackson threw him out of the movement several times because Jackson has always had a hidden agenda, and that was for his own personal gain and not for the people. But they 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 turned the, uh, uh, what was supposed to be overcoming evil with good into hatred, and that's when and then you know they helped separate the family under Lyndon B. Johnson with the welfare mm-hmm. program. Because when you remove the father, you remove Christ. And so that's when it started going downhill. And now, Joe, it's so bad that blacks are going around killing, robbing, raping, and and uh, uh, hurting white people. This young generation hate white people with a passion. And they have heard over and over again, go into the suburbs. And Barack Obama has implanted a lot of these angry blacks in the urban area, I mean, in the suburbs, white communities. He has let prisoners out of jail. We don't know where they are. And these people blame their anger on the white man. And it is people in this country have no idea the attacks upon white people by black people, young men and women. It is horrible. But because it's happening to white people, you don't hear about it. If white people were doing nearly uh, what black people are doing to white, it'd be all over the media. Everybody would know about it. But because it's blacks doing it to whites, you don't hear about it. But black people lie. I mean, white people lives are at risk from black people because the hatred is out of control now because they've only been receiving hatred. They have not been receiving love. Most black people are not connected to God. You can't be connected to God and have anger in your heart. It's impossible. Well, that's very well said. And 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 as I said, I grew up. Um, I, I have a lot of black friends, and I've never met a person, at least, who would uh, say it to to my face. You know what what you described as this just inherent racism of, of blacks against white people, uh, or this hatred. And yeah, I, I it's not racism; it's hatred. Maybe it's a you know obviously in the in the bigger cities it's a it's more of an issue uh, than in in the suburbs and whatnot. Um, and and I, I know your book deals with this. How are we as a society, uh, regardless of of color and class distinctions, how are we supposed to heal these wounds uh, moving forward? One way and one way only. We got to well maybe more than one way only, but we got to tell the truth without anger and the truth without anger is perfect love which is the nature of God and that love will set those free who want to be free you, some of them you're never going to reach because they're so rooted and grounded in hatred and you're not going to be able to help but there are a few who are seeking the kingdom of God and it's those you'll be able to help but we got to start telling the truth we got to start restoring the order of the family because if you don't bring back that order of family and men don't return to God, love him with all their heart, soul, and might, along with nothing else, and start standing up for righteousness sake, it's only going to get worse. If you notice, the attack is upon men, and it's upon all men, black men, white men, Hispanics, Japanese, Chinese, and the reason evil is trying to destroy the man is because of who he represents. 
The man represents God. He is the son of God. He is the Christ. And, and evil understands that working through the children of evil. It knows that if it can accuse the men of being rapists, accuse them of being homosexuals, accuse them of molesting their children, accuse them of being so-called racist or hate women, it's going to turn the women and children away from them, and then they can usher in this evil. And that's what we see happening. If you look around, you will see that the attack is upon the white man now because they've already destroyed the average black man. And now they're going after the white man, calling him a racist, calling him misogynist, calling him this and that because they want to do to the white family what they've done to the black family. They want to give the white family government programs. They want them to have children out of wedlock. They want them to accept homosexuality, so-called transgender and no gender and all that crazy stuff because they need to remove the father in order to do that. And if white men don't wake up soon, they're going to find themselves and their families in the same condition that black people are in right now. Yeah, you know, and, and, um, uh, what brought, what, what you just said brought to mind to me, uh, you know, what I learned about the, the movement of the, the women's rights movement. Um, yeah. you know, the, the intentions of, of Rockefeller, uh, you know, trying to tax the other half of the population and remove mothers, you know, from the home, from their role yeah. as mothers by, by putting them to work and, and, uh, these different policies that they created. It wasn't just for the, they didn't do it for the sake of the people, for the liberation and, and well-being right. and rights of women. They did it for uh, other nefarious purposes. To and, destroy the family so they can bring in evil. Yeah, and this is, you know, the, destroying the family is, is uh, one of the, the planks of, of, of communism and just about every, you know, evil system of, of control. And it's startling to see, you know, how far we've regressed um, to where we are now. And I often wonder, you know, with this social justice movement and uh, on the left and, and uh, that we see this political correct stuff, are these people, is there any hope that they will, you know, they can, uh, would, would it take life experience? Obviously, it's not going to be somebody telling them that their ideas are wrong. Uh, is there, do you believe that these people can have their mentalities changed uh, with the right conditions? <laughs> if they are, If they don't hear the truth, Unless they suffer, sometimes your pain, your suffering can cause you to cry out to God, and then you can know the truth. But unless they hear the truth, they're not, because they're being taught in in the public school system, you know, first grade or kindergarten, all the way through college, to university now, about how bad the family is, how bad men are, uh, that they need the government. It's okay to have children out of wedlock and everything that's wrong. So they've been brainwashed from the moment they pop out of their mother, mother's womb. And so, but unless they hear the truth, a lot of them would never change. And if men don't change, if they don't return back to their natural state of being, it's not going to get better because the authority, the love, the nature of God is in the man, it's not in the woman. And unless he changed and returned to God, it's not going to get better. Whenever men are weak, their, their, their families fall apart, their neighborhoods fall apart, their schools fall apart, and their country fall apart. Look at how they're going after President Trump right now. And the goodness of President Trump 
the fact that he loved the country. He put America first. He wanted to restore order, bring back jobs. It's, it, he is exposing all the hatred that's in the liberal media, in the Democratic Party, the right old Republicans, and the never Trumpers. We knew that the government had issues, but we didn't know how bad it was until right now. They never intended to overturn Obamacare. They never intended to put a wall around the borders. They never intended to cut back on taxes and restrictions and regulations. They never intended to protect us from the radical terrorist Muslims. They never intend to stop bringing refugees in our country so they can kill us. They never intended to do anything, and they're doing all they can do to stop President Trump from doing it. And so we didn't know how much anger and hatred and lack of country was in our government until now. So any man that stands up, for goodness sake, they're going to go after you, but you don't have to worry if you have truly returned to God and love him. He will protect you, he will guide you, and he will make it happen through you. And that's why we got to get men to return back to God and love him more than they do themselves, more than they do their wives and their children and their country. they got to love God, and then they can love their wives and their children and their country in the right way. But unless men return, it's only going to get worse. Christ may have to come back and restore order because the power, the authority is in the man. Yeah, I mean, we all we all play our, our roles, uh, both in the, in the natural and in the spiritual. Yes, and sir. As Scripture points out, men and women have obviously have a, a much different roles, but you know they work together uh, for that that unison, uh, that what we call a family. Uh, when a man and a wife, a man and a woman get married and have children, it, it's the dynamic. And what one thing we see in in this country, which is so uh, disheartening, is that. Is that the, the Satan and the enemy are attacking every foundation uh, that God established? Whether of it is course. the genders, uh, you know, God created man and woman. Now there's more genders. Now in marriage, uh, you know, they're they're trying to to let people. Uh, pretty soon they're going to be able to marry animals, and and they're attack everything that God established for good and righteousness is under attack. Which is why I'm going to ask you this next question: uh, Do you believe that we are in? the close to the end times we are living in the beginning of the end times what do you think uh, prophetically where where do we stand i think i think that i don't know if we were at the end times you know because i've been hearing this all of my life yeah. i just think that we are uh devastation will come upon the earth if men don't turn back to god so that god can work through them to defeat evil i think that as generations come Things would get worse for each generation. It would become hell on earth. But I don't know if it's like the end time. I just think because I look at I look at what has happened to black people. When I was growing up, because men were strong and they loved what was right, you didn't have this type of devastation in the black communities around the country because men protected uh, their families and their c- communities from evil. You mentioned how the women's movement uh, encouraged women to go out and work. But if men were strong, they would not have allowed their women to go out and work. And the women would not have wanted to go. But the men were not strong enough to protect them from 
the evil that was coming from the women's movement. And so it's our job to do that as Christ has made a way for us. And so I don't know about the end times, but I do know if men don't wake up, we have some difficult days ahead of us. No, very, very well said. Uh, folks, <coughs> excuse me. Our guest is Reverend uh, Jesse Lee Peterson. His website, there's two websites, rebuildingtheman.com and jessieleepeterson.com. In his book, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood, and you can get that from the uh, World Net Daily Superstore, or you can get it right from Amazon. I got the Amazon page up right here. And, um, Jesse, I have not read your book, but I, I am very interested in, in reading it. And I, I'm not sure if it's on our way to the studio from World Net Daily or not, but either way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order it and check it out. Because this is a, you know, when we talk about, and this is more than just a, a race issue or a, a, a black and white issue and, and the division we see there, because as you have uh, so well stated, this is evil. This is good versus evil, and evil it seems to be winning in this society. And I think our uh, institutions of government and even uh, many in, this, in uh, civil society are working, uh, whether knowingly or unknowingly, with this evil and pushing it forward. And one thing I always say that the Scripture says is, you know, the, the, the subtlety of Satan is something that, uh, we never really see coming and it, I, I use the example of uh, in the 1960s you couldn't put a TV show that's on TV today on TV back in the 60s or 70s the people would be morally outraged they wouldn't have it but incrementally you know through subtle changes uh, they were able to progress to the point where you know you have the profanity and nudity and, and the blood and gore and everything on TV and this is how uh, this is how Satan works in all aspects of our lives. If it's not something that can be can be done instantly, he will subtly, uh, you know, chip away at the the standards and the morals. And as you said, Jesse, when when men and and when the people are weak, when when they are not you know standing firm in their faith and don't know their scripture, they are uh, a prime to be manipulated and to allow these, right. these things in. And the one, the one thing I just keep going back to is, you know, what can we do? Us as Christians, we can pray. We can set up, you know, different, uh, community things, community engagements, Bible studies. Um, but there's only so much we can do as, as, as Christians and as, um, you know, people in our own societies. There has to be an effort from everybody involved if we want to see, you know, some kind of universal change. And with the, it, it's so hard, especially that the media, is you know promoting this agenda of hate and all this um, you know moral bankruptcy? What 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 do you think uh, in in your experience and in your lifetime? How much has the media changed, or has it really always been this way? It's just been more covert. It's been more covert. It has always been this way, but because we didn't have uh, a man like Donald Trump in the White House, we were not able to see the depths of how evil the liberal media is. But it's been there. It's always been there. And it's been setting us up and setting us up for the downfall. And that's why you see it out now is really, it's going nuts and going crazy because it can't handle the goodness in the president. But we've been deceived by the media for a long time now. And thank God uh, that it is being exposed. And I just want people to really don't listen to all the talk what they're hearing from the left, but really pay attention to what's going on. 
uh, God is allowing us to see what's going on in, in the media and in our government so we the people can take back our government. There are Christians who don't even believe that you should be involved in government. How in the world you're not going to be involved in the government and the government make laws laws mm-hmm. that affect you and your family and your life. We need to vote in men and women who love what's right. We need to, and they need to know they work for us, we the people. We need to start repudiating, rebuking those who are of their father, the devil. And, and if they don't like it, that's on them. As long as we don't hate them, we show them love by repudiating them. We need to start taking back our families and raising our children. Uh, and, and, and in doing all that, we would know that God is with us because it's not we who are doing it, but it's the Father who dwells in us. He does He does the work through us. And so we need to return to Him and let Him take over again, and then all things are possible. And so I have to tell you, man, I'm having a hoop nanny of a time dealing with evil because it's not me, it's the Father that's in me, and I know of myself I can do nothing. I've been called Uncle Tom, sellout, the so-called N-word, every vulgar, nasty name you could be called, and this is by mostly black people. I've been, uh, have, I've hardly a day goes by when I don't get some type of threat. Uh, my family's been threatened, uh, but I'm not afraid like that. I, I, you know, I watch my back, I'm concerned, but I have no fear because I know that God is with me. And they don't know what to do with me because I don't fear them. I don't fear losing something. Material things are not first in my life. Loving what's right is first in my life. And so that's that's what the children of God should be like. You can't have fear and love what's right. It just doesn't go that way. You know, I got a a, a really, really, I get a lot of emails and texts and things from people around the world. We counsel with people around the world and the spirit is the same it's the destruction of the family and the anger that starts in the homes that set people up to have fear and doubt and worry and insecurity depression suicidal thoughts uh post-traumatic stress disorder it all comes from anger because that's the nature of uh satan but i got a, a one test that i want to share with you in your audience and it came in this late this evening it says, Jesse, I just finished reading your book, The Antidote. The Antidote. Incredible, powerful, educational, and motivational. Uh, you're, changing, you're changing my life, man. Thanks for writing this book. I wish I could have been introduced to your work sooner. Thank you, Vaughn. And I write the truth in the book. And the truth is, we got to restore the family if we're going to have children. It's got to bring back that order of God, God in Christ, Christ in man, man over woman, and woman over children. Men got to realize who they are and who they represent and return to that. You're absolutely right. And, and you know, I want to ask you this question. I don't know that even uh, that you might know the answer to this, but it seems like in uh, children, without fathers that the statistics are that they're more likely to not be there for their children also 
No, they won't. Well, well, see, to me, I would think that the opposite would be true, that somebody who went through that as a child would never want their child to go through that, so they would do everything in their power to make sure that it was different for their kid. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Is, is there any indication as to why? Is that just a self-esteem Because thing? if you, when you are not raised by your father, or even if the father's in the home, you disconnect. The, the branch has fallen away from the tree of life. When you fall away from your father, you fall away from the tree of life, and you're just dying. You're not living. You have fear. You have doubt. You're very emotional. You're looking for love and in all the wrong places, and you get the wrong kind of love. You don't see how to um, stay with your kids, stay with your wife. Your battle is with you, and your, if you should get married, your battle is with you and your wife. Your wife hates you because you're weak. She hates you because she hated her father. Her mother turned away. And it's just a battle. Or even as men, unfortunately, you get women pregnant out of wedlock. They try to be with the kids. The women prevent it. Because you, when you hate your mother or hate anyone, you become like what you hate. And you become subject to what you hate. So men hate their mothers and grandmothers, and they're attracted to what they hate. So they end up marrying, dating, or having sex with women who are just like mama. And because they were not able to deal with their mothers, they can't deal with the mother of their children, so they bail out. Or they become very wimpy, weak men. They cave. And a, and a man who caves into his wife is not a real man. Very interesting, folks. Our guest is Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, Jesse, we only have just a few minutes left. I'm looking at your website here, jessieleepeterson.com. Uh, what can folks do, aside from buying the book, to help you? Well, we appreciate that. We are a nonprofit, and uh, we are rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. No money from the government. We've been around 27 years now. They can definitely donate to us. Uh, it's because of the people helping us that we are able to help others. We counsel, we tutor, we help find jobs. And then we started a uh, uh, bond entrepreneur program where we are teaching young men from 15 and up how to start a business. And we brought in men, I brought in men who are businessmen. Some are retired, but they're successful businessmen. And we're teaching them every aspect of business. I started a credit union, a bond credit union. And we loan these guys the money, and then they pay back with little interest because that's what's happening in the real world. And a lot of them don't have credit or they don't know how to make it work. And so we, but the most important thing, we're showing them how to forgive so they can treat people the way they would like to be treated. They won't abandon their families and things like that. So they can donate by going to rebuildingtheman.com rebuildingtheman.com or call 800-411-2663 800-411-BOND and we work with all men even though our focus is on the black man because he's so demoralized now and weak we try to you know help him show him how to overcome that anger so he can return to God but we work with all men and we do counseling so if there are men and women out there who need counseling, they can call us. We do it by phone or by Skype. Or if you're in an L.A. area, you can, you know, go into the office there. And so they can donate to us. We definitely need prayers and, some, and volunteers. They live in the L.A. area, and they have a talent or something they would like to volunteer and help us with. We welcome that as well. 
Okay, and which website would be best for people to contact you? Rebuildingtheman.com or yeah. the... Okay. Yeah, rebuildingtheman.com. And folks, there are, uh, if you're on rebuildingtheman.com on the upper right-hand side, there is the contact uh, section where you can go and get the contact info uh, for Jesse and, and reach out to his organization, um, as well as jessieleepeterson.com. And folks, don't forget the book, The Antidote, Healing America from the Poison of Hate, Blame, and Victimhood, that's available on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon Kindle as well. And if uh, you want to get it through WorldNet Daily, go to thehagmanreport.com, hagmanreport.com. And on the top banner there, there is the WorldNet Daily Superstore. Use promo code HAGMAN, and you can get it that way. Uh, Mr. Peterson, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We are out of time, and I hope we can get you back at some point. You can, Joe. I truly, truly enjoyed that conversation with you. Thank you for that. Well, thank you uh, for for coming on and, and sharing uh, all the information that that you have, and it's uh, uh, definitely going to be an uphill battle. But we'll continue to pray for you, and and thank hopefully you, you can uh, continue to move forward and, and change lives as yours have has been changed. Thank you very much. I appreciate that, Joe. All right, you have a great evening. You too, buddy. Bye bye. Good night. All right, folks. That we have just a, just a few minutes left. And I wanted to, to save a few minutes here at the end just to say a few things. I uh, want to thank each and everybody for joining us uh, tonight, not only on this show, but on our daily shows, folks. Don't forget we have the Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10, Monday through Friday, and uh, the Hagman Daily Show, 2 to 3 p.m. And it's also on Global Star Radio, Channel 3, and Blog Talk Radio. Now, you can get the archives. Uh, they go up you know, just about right after the show is over on a number of different podcast outlets what i like to do is to uh i have i use itunes whether on my on my phone or my computer and i can download them as soon as they're done uh right there on itunes and uh also you can um go on blog talk radio and if you go to hagmanreport.com and you look at the top there there is um uh, listen options not only for the two daily shows but also for uh, this show, the Hagman Report, and I'm trying to pull it up here right now in the in the few moments we have left. But I believe it's under. Uh, there's a few places where you can listen on the website, and it is under. Let's see. Listen. I think that makes the most sense under listen, and I think there's a, another tab that says two new shows. And um, folks, if you pull up the listen link, I don't know why my computer's taking so long. There we go. If you pull up the listen link. All right, you can see that you have the uh, the Doug Hagman show, the Hagman Daily Show, as well as the Hagman Report, and you can listen to it right from that page, uh, as well. And we uh, ask for feedback at Studio at Hagman and Hagman. And I want to uh, thank everybody. I want to thank Tech Eric for you know putting in the hard work and, and setting this up. And again, folks, don't forget to check the website Hagman Report for uh, great content. We got a lot of of um, people who are, are writing content for our site, Peter Chauka being one, Ted Brewer, Stephen Menking, and, and many others. And we populate it with uh, the most important stories and um, news that, that is pertinent for you know the daily information. So make sure you bookmark HagmanReport.com. You check out the new shows. And if you like the new shows or if you don't like the new shows, send us an email at studio at HagmanAndHagman.com. We want to hear from you and what you think. Well, it has been a, a fantastic week. 
uh, here in the Hagman Studios. When we come back on Monday, John, uh, who was with us in the first hour, the, the producer, he's going to be in Erie. And I said this earlier, I'll say it again, I don't know if he knows what he's getting himself into, but we look forward to being able to have him in studio. And John and I will be able to do the show, our show, from the from the same room instead of from the other side of the country. Well, thank you all who have tuned in to listen. Thank you for your support, spreading the word about the show. Thank you to Todd from Global Star Radio Network. We will be back on Monday. Until then, stay safe. Have a great night.